What's up, union members? I just want to make a quick announcement by way of doing a little bit of housekeeping. You've probably heard us say on several occasions that we were going to be doing a story involving the model making magazine publication business. And we've also talked to a number of you via private messenger on Facebook and in other ways about doing this story. The specific story I'm talking about regards Scale Aviation Modeler International, which is owned by MA Publications and run overall by a guy named Steve Elliott. We feel like this is an important story. There's quite a bit of controversy surrounding these folks, and we really want to cover it. But we have unfortunately made the decision as a team to pass on that story. Mr. Elliott is quite fond of taking people to court, and it could definitely have an effect on Chris at a minimum because he does live in the UK, and he's already got enough uh, things going on without having to deal with something like that. So it's uh, regrettable, but we felt like it was important to just be straight up and let all of you guys who we've talked to about that know about this decision. This week's show is especially sweary. Why is it so sweary? Well, sometimes that's just how Tracy, Will and I like to talk. If you really don't like to hear swearing or there are sensitive ears around, maybe use some headphones or listen to the show later on or maybe tune into another podcast. Otherwise, sit back, buckle up and enjoy the ride. All right, and here we go. Welcome to another episode of the Sprue Cutters Union. We are back at it again, and I am here with my compadres in crime, Mr. Tracy Hancock. Hello. And Mr. Chris Meddings. Hello. What's up, dudes? Oh, you know, living the dream. Dream, dream, <laughs> dreaming the live. Pissing off people on the internet. <laughs> No, that's you and me, Chris. Tracy is good at staying away from that. He's he's the smarter yeah. of the, he's the smarter of the three. <laughs> he's of like us. why why would you want to cause yourself shit? Why would you want to do that? <laughs> I mean, whatever makes you happy. I, I've got other shit to do. Well, it's like I told Chris yesterday or whenever it was, we were talking about this group on Facebook that where it's just a constant, you know bunch of monkeys throwing turds at each other and i was like yeah I'm, i thought that was a, i was like that was a pretty great description of that group it is exactly do you know why i'm in that group exactly accurate i remembered why i'm in that group it's because you said to me at one yeah. point come and look at this group where they're like a bunch of monkeys throwing turds at each other <laughs> <laughs> and i was stupid enough to join right right i mean it's like a train wreck you can't you can't turn away but like i told you i because I, I said i'm about to get thrown out of that group and you were like, yeah, no great loss. And for me, it's like, you're right. It's not, except for the fact that sometimes I need a place to go just so I can fight. Sometimes you got to go where everybody hates your name. <laughs> <laughs> and they're never glad you came. <laughs> you want to go yeah. where monkeys throw. <laughs> Shit at your face. <laughs> And I know in there they're probably like, dude, why are you even in here? You don't even build tanks because it's a tank group. So, but you know, I'm going to someday. So yeah, but I'm just you rhyme with tanker. You know, story. Uh, can't 
Kanker, uh, Franker, Wanker, Wanker. <laughs> <laughs> uh, off to another top quality, high class, uh, you know, highbrow yeah. episode. This pretty good, genius. Yeah. <laughs> as always, as always. Yep. yep, yep. And you can tell, you can tell, it's been a minute since we got together because you know this is how it is. We we're we're all you know busy doing shit and. Uh, when we get together, it's just like this, you know. It's like seeing seeing your bros at the at ye olde pub, ye olde pub, <laughs> the shit flinging pub, <laughs> the shit flingers arms. Join join us at the monkey's arse. <laughs> so, speaking of of things we've been doing, Meddings, why don't you fill us all in on all the sanding you've been doing lately? Actually, I haven't been doing any. It's a fucking miracle. I finally finished building the plastic potato, the AZ Models KI-48 Lily. Uh, and I finished by adding the uh, vacform canopies I made. And what I did was I made separate frames to go over them. And I thought, this is I'm so awesome and so clever. I'm going to paint the frames, then put them on the glazing. Without no plan to survive contact with the enemy. That didn't fucking work. They had to be slightly <laughs> adjusted. Even though one was vacformed over the other. So there's no way they couldn't fit. They didn't fit. So I had to mm. had to edit them, shall we say, and then paint them, like, masked up and what have you. So I got those on. And then What did you make the frames there. out of? A second vacuum form? Yeah, styrene, yeah. I drew some and, printed, and, and sent them to the uh, portrait, and they should have fit perfect, but they didn't. So instead I vacuum formed a clear canopy over the buck I made, mm. left that on there, and then that formed some white styrene over the clear styrene so that it would fit. But obviously the tolerance was too tight or something, I don't know, but it didn't quite fit. So um, I had to adjust it a little bit. It's all right, except where it, was, where it was most curved and the curves for some reason, maybe as they cooled, one expanded differently to the other one or something. I don't know. So um, yeah, they're all on and it's, I've painted the fucking thing. Yay! Yeah. And I've been doing a Japanese green over, what's it called Japanese army gray Japanese air force gray scheme and I'm oh, shit at modeling so I, I've been spending all day fucking unfucking it and then refucking it and unfucking it so I know you were having problems with with overspray what you were were you shooting Tamiya yeah through uh, a Iwata custom micron which I got as a review sample when I worked at Sam 400 quid airbrush I'm like, ooh, this is nice. top of the line. So I don't use it in case I fuck it because that's what I'm like with tools. I break them. Uh, so I've virtually never <laughs> used it. I have used it once or twice before, so I know it works, but I've never done something this fine with it. And I'm trying to do these fine little squiggles and get loads of overspray. And um, I can't remember why, but I switched to my 120 pound, um, what's it called? The guns brushes. What are they called? Mr. Hobby? Pro, uh, the Procon Boy. Yeah, P.S. 270 and it sprays better it sprays fine lines better than the custom micron does and it's a 0.3 needle and the custom micron's a 0.2 or something so it's like well that doesn't make any sense yet you know i don't know must be something about the innards that it works better with tamir i don't know yeah that's what i was gonna say it just may sort of work better at whatever viscosity yeah. and you know, chemistry you're you're dealing with. What did you what did you thin that stuff with? Uh, I was thinning it with uh, Mister Leveling Thinner to stop it drying on the tip, and thinned it eighty percent thinner, twenty percent paint, maybe a bit more. Actually, I didn't like measure it. it. That's just you know by eye. 
I sprayed at about 12, 15 PSI. Uh, the gauge on my compressor is not very good, so it's somewhere around 12, 15. Those gauges are junk, yeah. man. Well, it's what so it said true. on there anyway. So, But if I went like <laughs> a hair lower, it spattered. And if I went any higher, I got spiders. So there really was a definite sweet spot. Yeah. Do you use a test mule? <laughs> Hell yeah, no. <laughs> I just, I just wanted to make sure we're ignoring our own advice. That's it's all. in the next room. I'm too lazy for that. <laughs> oh god, such a pro. You know what I'll do when I like, because I, I had to. I mean, I wasn't doing sand and spinach type thing like you are, but I, I sprayed a lot of little bitty spots on the Hornet. And what I would do is get a post-it note yeah. and put it right next to where I was going to spray the spot, and I'd spray over on the post-it note. And as soon as I felt dialed in, I'd just scoot over, do my little spot. You know. After a while, that's uh, what I was doing because I messaged uh, our good friend Harvey, Harvey Lowe, uh, because he did those amazing 172nd Sander spinach yeah, schemes. Yeah, he's good at that. Yeah, he's good at that. He suggested, well, he had this like funky mix he uses of uh, Gun's acrylic, water-based acrylic with a bit of this and a bit of that and some XYZ and, you know, pray to the airbrush gods and whatever his special mix is. I thought, I ain't doing that. But uh, he said about using the post-it note and he said about the pressure and everything and and I thought the higher you went on pressure, the the better it was for fine lines. But it's definitely not true. There's definitely a sweet spot. So you know, there's a sweet spot for yeah. sure. Yeah, but but higher is better than lower. Yeah. I mean, it's you know you get spidering at some point. But I, whenever I see a lot of those little specks, I think low pressure because mm. I mean it's the sort of the same thing that happens when you use your Mac valve to shut the flow rate down mm. to the point where you get spatters. Oh, that's the other thing. I was playing with the back valve and that helped as well finding the, the right yeah, spot on the... does. Mm-hmm. did you try the sanding t- uh, trick to get rid of some of those little specks yes but it didn't work hmm. it kind of smeared the paint the uh, the problem is like the um dark green over the sand when you sand it the paint goes very fine and sort of rubs into the sand so it just made it all a bit darker and also remember i've got the hgw rivets on it so you sand it to reveal those oh yeah so i have to be really careful how much paint i put on it otherwise i lose that and it took me a week to do that so i'm not fucking doing it again (laughs) that's the other thing i can't strip it because it will take the decals off well and the and the sanding to remove the overspray trick may really kind of be a lacquer thing because you know it it just nothing sands is good so it just yeah well, I'm a, I'm a, what you call it, a tank builder, or I'll just cover it in mud. Right. Battle yeah. damage. Yeah. <laughs> and I know Tammy is basically functioning as a lacquer when you use a lacquer thinner, but it's still not quite the same as a straight-up lacquer. As it dries, it doesn't bond in the same way, does it? It doesn't form a homogenous shell. It, it kind of, I don't know how to explain it, but it's, um, it's a bit bittier. Mm-hmm. Yep. But it looks good, though. Looks good, man. A couple other things. I went on Built Sideways on the last episode, so if anyone wants to listen... Yeah, we heard you were... Yeah, we heard you were out there cheating on us again. I said lots of things that are going to annoy a lot of people, so... <laughs> Go over there Shocker. if you like being annoyed. <laughs> so is that it? it? That, that's it. All right, yeah. right on. Well, it's good that you're getting close to the end of the potato, because I know that that thing is has used up your supply of fucks. 
Yeah, it has. Yeah. Normally, I'd put yeah. it aside and recharge for a bit, you know, just give it a week off it, do something else. Because quite often when you do that, you come back to it, you're really enthusiastic about it again. But I can't because I've got deadlines. So mm-hmm. power through. I mean, I think it's looking really good, you know? It, yeah, I, it does. It does. You've put in a lot of work. I bet yeah. when I take the canopy masking off, there's dust inside it. <laughs> that always <laughs> fucking happens to me. That's me. Right on. What about you, Hancock? What are you up to? I guess since the last time we spoke, I have finished construction on the AFE Club Scimitar and the Master Club tracks and have uh, started roughing out a base. And uh, because I I built it, this kit does not have uh, any way to articulate the suspension. Uh, built it out of the box in terms of that so that I could uh, fit the tracks properly, make sure I got the right amount of links, yada, yada, yada. But now that I've got this base going, um, I'm realizing that what I'm trying to do uh, requires the suspension to be articulated. So over the last couple of days, what I've done is I've gone back and, and basically sawn through the uh, the um, uh, the the arms, uh, suspension arms and pen them and put the vehicle in place and then gotten the suspension where I want it and re-glued it. And it's, it's looking cool, man. I mean, I'm, it does look cool. It looks really I'm real cool. stoked with it. Yeah. I mean, I've seen that done, but rarely that well. It looks excellent. Reminds nice. me of that Kami diorama you did a while ago. That was really good too. Yeah. The Kami, you could, I didn't have to do anything, you know, that dragon kit was really sweet, easy to build, everything fit, and the suspension was uh, had its articulation kind of built in. Obviously, this is an older kit, but it wasn't that difficult to do. Um, it's just it, kind of having a plan before you attack it, I think, is, is the way to go. And it's torsion bars, so they're not overly complicated as suspension goes. No, the front and rear have a little bit of uh, a little bit of extra stuff going on that I'll. Oh yeah. Now that everything is sort of fixed in place, I can pop the wheels back off and and kind of uh, put those articulation arms and all that kind of stuff back on there. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of surprised that the the people that I've shown it to have been really really uh, complimentary about it. Because uh, it's good. I, it is. Mm-hmm. It, it is. But it's like apparently it's got more wow factor than I. I think it does. Uh, maybe it's because I nailed it or what, but everybody that I'm talking to and showing the photos, they're like, holy shit, that looks fucking awesome. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it looks good, but... Don't worry, you can fuck it up when you paint it. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I'm not done yet. The groundwork's not even finished yet. <laughs> but I well, have... I don't... I don't know shit about tanks, but when I look at it, those tracks just automatically look really authentic to me, the way that they droop. and Yeah. It's, it's just, it's that little X factor. Yeah. Yeah, and, and again, having them already built means that whenever you articulate your suspension, you're not doing anything that is uh, impossible for the vehicle, you know? Yeah. You know, it, it kind of it keeps things in line a little bit. Um, and I've gotten like, even Will, you said it, uh, Sam Dwyer said the same thing. Whenever I showed the pictures, I guess VMS has a new dirt kind of thing, like a base 
putty schmutz. You know, yeah, well, well, Martin is all about it. Every single one of his dioramas lately, he uses the VMS mud product, and I guess he's helped them t- uh, tweak it to make it even better, and it looks exactly like your stuff. So you like <laughs> somehow you've figured out the recipe. I mean, I've been. It's the same recipe I've always used. I got a bag of like powdered paper mache, and PVA glue, and fucking water, and and craft store acrylics. And you just mix it together, and you know, smear it on. But you know, it if you mix that paint in there, then no matter what you do, like on this thing, I've I've definitely had to like break out the big file and and file a few humps down and everything to to get the vehicle to sit the way I want it to. And whenever you're doing that, you're not exposing like white plaster or anything because you mix the the mm-hmm. crappy craft store paint in thoroughly with everything. So that's that's just what I've always done. So I'm glad they stole my recipe. Yeah, when I use <laughs> plaster on a base, I always mix it with paint for that reason because if it cracks, then you don't see the crack basically. Yeah, this is lighter than plaster. Like you end yeah. up with a base that doesn't weigh a ton because it's basically just paper mache. Plaster really, I think, for basing is only good to a maximum depth of a few millimeters. You know, it's a top surface at most. Really, you shouldn't yeah. have used it to do anything too deep because it takes forever to dry. It's exothermic, so it can crack. And it bases. cracks. Yeah, yeah. This stuff, you know, I mean, I've, I've got a, a smear where I want to build up some volume and get the vehicle positioned where I want, but then there's going to be another application to to start building it up. But I'm not. Yeah, you don't glop that stuff on three inches thick or you're asking for something unexpected to happen. That's about it. That's me. Right on, right on. What about you, Well, I, I, you know, uh, I I have uh, also been running low on fucks uh, because... We need <laughs> fucks. Dude, yeah, I'm, I, I, I'm about two-thirds of the way done with the fuselage on the little Mustang and... I yeah I just I'm getting more and more moments where I just loathe the damn thing and I just don't want anything to do with it. I, it's it's not that it's really gotten any worse. I'm just you know it's just a, it's a cut it's death by a thousand cuts kind of thing or a thousand little tears or wrinkles or bits your of texture. Ch- your chore has become a chore. It's becoming a chore. Yeah, and and uh, I mean I'm gonna I'm gonna see it through, but. I decided to just sort of shift gears and take inventory of all of the other stuff with the project that hasn't been done. Um, you know, I'm gonna, I got to paint the landing gear. I got to well, I got to assemble them first. Wheels. I lost one of the one of the halves of one of the kit tires, so probably for the better. I ordered the Edward Brasson wheels, and I was surprised they actually. You know how they do the inner the rim is separate on one side. And it almost never fits well. And there's a giant gap around the inner piece that just annoys the shit out of everybody. This one actually fit surprisingly well. So that was good. The The, uh, the wheel and tire um, look good. Um, and yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, there's really not that much. Um, and I've, I felt like it was time to go ahead and experiment with painting and, and doing decals on the foil. Because oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm yeah, glad you're talking whole, about this. This is cool. Yeah, there's a whole other thing with that. First of all, um, with paint, 
I, I'm this thing is going to be super simple. I'm, it's going to be as if this aircraft just rolled out of the front door of the Englewood uh, assembly line. So uh, it's got you know nothing on it but insignia and the serial number and the stencils and the anti glare panel on the nose. And that last thing is all I'm going to have to paint. Um, and I considered painting the insignia, but because of what I'm going to tell you in a second, I'm not going to have to. Anyway, aluminum and paint don't like each other as a rule. That's just not a good, that's not a healthy relationship. And that's why you see, you know, like examples of, of World War II aircraft with all the paint flying off of them in big chunks because paint doesn't stick well to aluminum. And that's why they invented primers like zinc chromate and aotake because it basically etches into the, 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 the aluminum. Anyhow, so it's a challenge to, you know, like when you peel your tape off to not yank something off of the edge of the thing you just painted. So I did some testing with that. I wanted to try using aluminum wheel cleaner that's got either acid or sodium hydroxide in it, whatever it is, it etches. Like it tells you right there on the, on the bottle do not use this wheel cleaner on your shiny aluminum wheels because they won't be they won't be shiny anymore and that's because it strips the oxide and you know right off of it and makes them dull um, and sometimes that's what you want and so i felt like okay this will create a sort of a microscopically rough texture that my paint can stick to and uh, it actually seems to have worked pretty good because i could just mask off the area on my test piece apply the the aluminum wheel cleaner with a q-tip until it kind of started foaming up and then just wipe it off and the surface is now kind of dull and uh, mrp at least uh seemed to, to stick to it pretty well so that was positive and then it was time to test decals and since these are the edward decals <laughs> yeah we all know right i think anyway everybody knows what a you know what a drama that is right so had to uh, had to get into that. And if you don't know, the thing with Edward decals is that they went to digital printing and it results in a different type of, of clear film. And uh, somewhere along the way, somebody discovered that you can peel that clear film off and leave just the colored part of the decal. And when it works, it's maze balls, right? It looks painted on. Mm-hmm. Uh, better than paint because it's so thin and and it you know and you get such perfect color separations but uh, nobody can agree on when they started doing it which version of the decals it is and how to do it and so it's like every chris can attest to this since he's a moderator in the edward group (laughs) (laughs) That every week there's some dude who's either like, "Yay, look at me, my Edward decals are amazing," and then oh, there's oh, that junk. Yeah, and then there's immediately a guy who's like, "Fuck these things! These are the worst fucking decals. You can't, you, you know." I'm never buying another Edward kit, even though I exactly. never use kit decals, etc. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, my position is that if a product that should be predictable has that much of a spread in the approval ratings. Something's wrong, either with the product or the way that it was marketed. And I kind of feel like with Edward that because they've never officially said you can do this, um, 
but but they but they definitely published it in their in their newsletter a couple of years ago like a whole SBS about how it's supposed to work and i don't know how much more official you can get than that yeah the biggest they do have one problem though which which um some of their haters have mentioned but it doesn't stop them being right <laughs> the color density uh, isn't that great on the new decals mm. or some of the decals particularly on letters and stuff for some reason it looks really washed out once you remove the film which is not well you, you can see it under magnification uh the dot pattern because it's yeah. digital printing you can see the dot pattern that shows up like in half tones it's yeah. di- i think the technical term is dithering but uh <laughs> sometimes it shows up more than others Quit dithering <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It, it uh, you know, and it seems to be worse when you pull the film off. So it's kind of this conundrum, right? You can, and, and some people think the film is terrible. The film is too thick. It looks like you know, and and so it's like nobody's happy except the few guys who actually managed to pull it off. Literally, pull it off. <laughs> and and <laughs> the, the number one trick is to just put your your softening solution under the decal which for me is a little different. I almost never do that. So that then the thing sticks to the surface and don't put any softener on top of the decal because that makes the film softer. Stick. So it, it basically it makes the film harder to pull away, right? It, right, and you don't want that. And so, um, and then you give it to anywhere from two to 24 hours and you just get tweezers and you, pick the edge of the film until you can grab hold of it and you just very gently pull it off of there kind of the way actual wet transfers from people like Archer and HGW are are intended to work. They work exactly like the uh, HGW decals. You put setting solution underneath but not sole. mm -hmm. You put them on. Don't bother with sole. Just press them down nice. Let them dry. Uh, I gave them about six hours. If you need a bit of water to soften the film, you can. It won't take the decal off. But if you put a solvent on, it actually makes it hard. Like you say, the the film melts, basically, and it makes it a lot harder to remove. (laughs) So this is what I mean about nobody being able to agree. Yeah. On, I mean, first of all, nobody can agree on what's a setter and what's a solvent. That's why I've taken to just calling it decal softener, because who the fuck knows? They're all different. But But the one that I... Watered down PVA. Maybe I, I no, mean I. I'm joking. Right? That's bro no, science. But who, yeah, but who knows? <laughs> well, at any rate, the one that I find that, that I I just naturally went for my uh, uh, Mr. Mark setter. Yeah, that's <laughs> because, what I use. Yeah, because it does have an adhesive component in it, and I use that on like stencils where they're much more likely to silver for whatever reason. And that's the one time where I will put it under the decal. But you still don't have very long. It'll still affect the softness of the of the film. Anyway, so I'm like, oh well, I you know I want the obviously the colored part to stick better, so I'll put that underneath. Well, my film would not peel off. It, it was not happening. It was coming off in little tiny shreds, and I was going to oh, be there that. for yeah. yeah, I was going to be there for a week trying to peel that stuff off that way. Fortunately, um, as our buddy Shane Doak has has said a lot because he's experimented with it quite a bit. The there's another trick, and that is to where you soak a Q-tip in mineral spirits, and I mean just plain old hardware store mineral spirits. Don't use anything that says enamel thinners on it for reasons we've talked about, and just start scrubbing 
and that decal film dissolves almost instantly. It's it's like a miracle. The the decal film just starts to wad up in little tiny balls and when it's all gone, there you are with nothing but the color part. It's amazing. Hmm. And uh, yeah, and and so uh, my test of that on the aluminum foil was super successful. Um not as successful if I put solvent on top of the decal. That that definitely did make it more difficult, but they looked they looked they looked fantastic. The one thing that also people can't agree on though is how durable the the colored part is after you do that. What what do you what have you found, Chris? I don't rub my models, so I don't know, but <laughs> you don't expect a genie like a genie to come out and grant you three wishes. I worry it. about it not being particularly durable, so if it was, you know, <laughs> Uh, I would give them a lacquer coat afterwards, like a you know, GX one one three or something. Give it sure. a nice, yeah. you know, seal it in. But the the one thing I really wanted these decals for, and the one thing I really think they would be great for, is what you're doing—a natural metal finish, because nothing exactly. looks more like ass right. than yeah. than uh, than uh, what's it called, carrier film on a natural metal right. finish. Uh, exactly, it, it shows up. Yeah, it shows up so much. And I honestly thought that before I removed the film, that this film was really pretty thin. I mean, it was yeah. not as objectionable as some other stuff I've seen. But, yeah, if you can have no film whatsoever, that obviously is the holy grail on, on a, any kind of, of a metallic finish, whether it's paint or foil or whatever. So this is like the best news I've gotten in this entire project that this may work. And I found that the colored part was, I mean, like as durable as paint. I was rubbing on it with mineral spirits and IPA and my nasty little fingertip, and I didn't didn't seem to, to fuck oh, cool. with it at all but then you've got another guy who's like oh no these are super fragile you have to put a clear coat on top of them which obviously i don't want to do on a metallic finish so again you, you know it's very much a your mileage may vary kind of thing and yeah you know maybe it'll work maybe it won't i don't know yeah i do wonder if there's some variability in the manufacturing because like you said yeah. with the film where yours came off, I've heard that where it comes off in shards, whereas mine mm-hmm. just peeled off in one. And I'm super, super curious how the film actually gets on there. Uh, it, it, you know, is it all, cause the digital printing part is obvious. That's the colored part. That's a no brainer, but I don't know that there's a way that they can print the clear film on it. And maybe that is silk screened. Yeah. And it's just I would this think it is, yeah. you're right. And it's just this particular, uh, yeah, I mean, it's like paint, I guess, in that they're all the same but different, uh, you know, because the Mineral Spirits trick definitely does not work with every decal out there. Let's get Edward on and ask him. I think we should. We would love to. We would love to get Edward on. So maybe we can <laughs> put them under the put them in the interrogation chair at uh, SCU headquarters and find out what the secret is. So, but anyway, yeah, that's, I mean, that's been pretty cool. And then I've just been tinkering with other stuff because that's what happens when I get irritated with a project. I start finding, (laughs) I start finding other things that need attention around my house or whatever. So, yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned that you were kind of running out of flux on, on the project and Chris is running out of flux on his project and Mm. you've got a farm. So why don't you just grow some flux? (laughs) 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 <laughs> that's a pretty good idea if i could figure out how to grow fucks and harvest them and sell them yeah i mean you know <laughs> I was gonna say, first you got to sow the fucks 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you grow yeah, the fucks. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I think I think that it would be expensive because let's be honest, they're, they're going to have to be organic fucks. You're probably going to need some kind of seed drill. Well, possibly. <laughs> possibly. There's, there's, right, right, right. And there's a whole, that's a whole topic about how you'd sell, set your planter up to, to sow the fucks in your, in your field. But yeah, but I mean, then, you know, you know, once you once you got them, though, then they're kind of like grapes, right? You can just make juice out of them and have sell instead of selling individual fucks, you just sell fuck juice. Maybe, maybe <laughs> I don't know. I mean, this is a, this is, a, is that what you've been drinking today, Hancock? This is going in a very I weird kinda, direction. <laughs> I kind of think I kind of think that what I would like to be able to do is smoke the fucks. <laughs> Hot that, fucks. Would, that, that would work even better for me than I, you know. I don't know. Consult your Richard Pryor for uh, operating instructions. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Well, well, we'll we'll be off working on that. But in the meantime, uh, we I think we've got some letters, don't we, boss? Oh shit! Yeah. Right. Okay. Let me look them up. <laughs> <laughs> gotta go look at the mailbag. <laughs> got a few letters. Uh... All right. The first one is from Richard Mears, who writes in. Dear Union Bosses, I really enjoyed the podcast. As another dentist, I really enjoyed the last episode and the interviews. It's a show of how small the dental world is that nurses I work with have worked with David. That's our our previous interviewee, um, David Lane, uh, have worked with David previously. Personally, I think dentists in this hobby, as we're used to doing small fiddly bits of work and tend to have a bit of a perfectionist streak. I did think that might be it when David was talking about his dexterity and what have you. Uh, can I ask for a recommendation? What's the best paint to use to paint shells in a brass color? I know you've mentioned this in the pod in the past, but I don't didn't have a notepad at the time. So, what's your go-to brass color? Uh, I, MRP's brass is my go-to. It it seems to work. Seems to work great. Uh, cool, Tracy. No, I was just thinking about uh, in the string bags book. Flip mentioned that he. It was either the String Bags book or it actually might have been the Copper State Newport that he built where he painted the the brass and copper bits with silver first and mm-hmm. then went over them with a thin layer of, of brass or copper, um, which I think gave them a nice lustrous sheen. Mm-hmm. Gives it a little more depth. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. And, bra- you know, brass can look a lot different depending on how new it is. You know, sometimes it's shiny mm-hmm. and very brassy and then sometimes it's just kind of a dull brown color because it's been oxidized one mistake people often make is they paint spent shells a nice clean brass color and um they're not when they're spent they're burnt yeah and brass changes color yeah yeah. so Mm -hmm. something you really do have to concentrate on also some shells are lacquered and some shells aren't uh to protect you know protect them from corrosion and what have you in storage I use Dark Star brass mostly. It's um, for brush painting. It's really good, but it's no good. I've never sprayed it, so uh, I don't know if it's any good for spraying. For spraying, I use uh, when I have to. I use Alclad, but to be honest, I haven't tried a lot of different brasses, so it's worth looking around. One that I wouldn't recommend is the Life Color one. I thought that was awful. The Life Color shell set. I really didn't like that. They do some really good paints, but that's not one of them. Well, they're they're no. kind of uh, signature is how dead matte everything dries i mean they're they are fantastic for clothing and things like that so if that's the case with the shell i don't know if that would work but 
I would say go back and look up what David Parker did on his big ass uh, Panzer IV, because he did a combination of brass and lacquered shells for that, and I seem to recall that they were really really cool looking. Yeah, I'd look up what David does. He's always fantastic on that stuff. And I should say, I always I, my answer always defaults to the airbrush answer. If I were going to brush yeah. paint brass, I mean, I've got some some old testers brass enamel that I might use sometimes, and then but whatever my I've got some Vallejo that I think is fine too. I, it's it's such a small. It usually is one of those things that just comes in like small details. Like I don't, I guess yeah. not being an armor guy, I don't ever find myself painting big chunks of brass. Well, even in armor, it's small things like quite often the um, the range dial on artillery and stuff like that is brass and little details like that, or are, like the handle the, on the end of a knob or something. You know. Are the big shell casings not uh, not not brass? Yeah, but other than them, I mean, you know, inside a tank, yeah. there's there's various and ships yeah. and what have you. There's various brass fittings, but it's you know their fittings not big, great expanses. Shells are the main thing you need it for. Yeah, yeah I would think. Basically, anything that was smaller than a shell, you'd brush paint anyway. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You you, know, you don't want to be masculine airbrushing that shit. Uh, and the next letter, the only, well, we've got one other letter that I'll read out this week, which is from Tim Cavalier, who we mentioned uh, in the last episode because of his blog, which is uh, Model Musings from a Cavalier Cat, a.k.a. the Buck Rumbles blog. Uh, and he writes, Hey gangsters, thanks for the shout out in the recent episode. You don't know how tempted I was to post more childish shit and call it a good, <laughs> call it good for my review of episode 31. Just kidding. More childish shit? No. I was referring to Chris's comment at the opening of episode 30 where he mentioned the group had been away for three weeks and that everyone was pissed about everything modelling. I simply found the quote, paraphrase, whatever, funny and refreshing to hear someone honestly expressing themselves. You guys definitely keep it real. Thanks for doing the podcast. Uh, they're always packed with good modeling tips. Okay. All right. Good. Yeah, that's a yep. nice. That's a nice. Thank you, email. Tim. Appreciate thanks that. for listening. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for writing in, guys. All right. Well, uh, after that little bit of letters, that's great. Good mail. We love that. Please send us more, especially about some of these things we've been talking about, like your, you know, your your hard lessons that you should have never had to learn as a experienced model maker your mishaps your your own burrs under your saddle which we're going to get to those as well here in a second but right now we got to pay some bills hey guys it's chris here talking about inside the armor publications great news volume two of models for ukraine is out for pre-order now. The first book raised over £19,000 for the Disasters Emergency Committee Ukraine Appeal. And we hope this book will raise more than 22000 to add to that total. The book features a number of fantastic artists, including Alex Clark, Calvin Tan, Emilien Diablo, Fanch Lubin, Felipe Costa Ramirez, Harvey Lowe, Ian Baraclough, Jean-Bernard André, John Colasante, Jose Brito, Katerina Derbalova, Paolo Portoese, Rene van der Hart, Robert Blocker, Sam Dwyer, and many more. If you'd like to pre-order the book, I suggest you do it as soon as possible because it's already selling very fast. Just go to insidethearmor.com where you can pre-order your book and where you can also order any of our fantastic publications on paper or in ebook format. 
Hi, I'm Scott, the creator and owner of the Scale Modeler Supply, Australia's largest manufacturer of hobby paints. Our premium airbrush-ready acrylic acker paints are designed specifically for use on plastics, with a comprehensive range covering all popular modelling subjects including military, aircraft, rail, auto, sci-fi and more. And not only that, but we also have a wide selection of essential hobby tools and now, infinite colour and new range of water-based paints from Inches. So to check out our range and to find your closest retailer, please visit our website at scalemodeler.com.au. So when quality matters, choose SMS Paints. All right, so with that, uh, we are always grateful to our sponsors. Glad they stick with us in spite of ourselves. And now we're going to get into uh, a little bit of the kind of thing that probably makes some of our sponsors go, why do we do this? But you know what? <laughs> we keep it real. All right, so if we were actually going to like, you know, be organized and shit and name our, bit, our bits and our segments, this would be the burr under our saddle bit. Burrs under my saddle. Burrs are rich in my butt. Burrs under my saddle. There's one wedged under my nut. <laughs> Alright, well, I know we got some burrs this week for sure. Chris, you got one. What's uh, what's what's bugging you? What's itching your ass this time? I don't know, I can't remember, do you? <laughs> well, I'm trying to remember. <laughs> Well, mine's pretty mine's pretty easy because it's been going on in this uh in this Facebook group. Uh let's call it crank modeling. Um and <laughs> this <laughs> happened because apparently, I don't know, it was one of those situations where somebody posted something and some other people said some things and some people were upset about the things and that turned into a turd flinging contest. And so the the guy that owns the group was like, no more of these vile posts, which is great, but it's not really a rule. And that's kind of like a corollary to the actual burr. I mean, listen, if you're going to moderate a Facebook group, you've got to have rules. They've got to be clear and you got to stick to them. you got to be consistent. I mean, I think that's what people appreciate. So, you know. And if you're going to post something like that, can you at least define vile? Because I still don't right. know what was vile about what. Well, it's exactly like these these groups that have a, as a, one of their rules, don't be a dick. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's great, but it's not very helpful because as we're as we're about to discuss, the problem comes in the definition of being a dick, right? And in this particular case, the issue apparently was is uh, you know, the evil rivet counters and People who, uh, you know, the self-appointed experts who, you know, will chime in on somebody's project and say, well, you know, your thing is the wrong color or our favorite, no crew chief, whatever. <laughs> Sorry, your you know, thing's the wrong color. What color yeah, is that? <laughs> that's, yeah, that's kind of racist. Maybe putting right? it. Yeah. <laughs> and, anyway, I, you know, that's that's just typical. That's like, I mean, uh, those of us who have been doing this for a while, I think, consider that to be just part of the package. And you either ignore it or you or you respond with your, you know, well-researched rebuttal or, uh, you know, you, you it can be a, you know, it can be a, 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 a Donnybrook, whatever. 
but it's just part of the deal. But there's a, there is a significant, I don't want to say significant. There's a few people out there who seem to feel that any amount of feedback unsolicited is automatically rude. And that's my burr under the saddle this week because I just, I just, I just completely disagree. I, I, I think that when you post something in a public place, that it is now available for commentary. And I want to be clear, that doesn't necessarily mean that just because something's available that you should comment or that any kind of comment is okay. Because these people who take this position that, that you know, any critique is automatically rude also like to gaslight you and, you know, go on about how, well, if you... Any, any kind of comments you make, and, and it just, it gets kind of mind-bending, honestly. Um, but the bottom line for me is that if it's available for public comment, you shouldn't necessarily, I mean, shouldn't be, you shouldn't be a dick, right? You can't just say anything, and, and, and you may choose to say nothing, but the bottom line is it's available, right? People can say whatever. And that's kind of, to me, that's kind of your responsibility as the person who posted it or the receiver to decide what you're going to do with that. Because we can't all be uh, walking on pins and needles all the time trying to make sure that every single thing we say is going to be okay. And I just kind of feel like that these people who say no feedback is okay really just want you to modify your behavior to suit their worldview. And And they don't actually mean it. Because they're okay with positive feedback. Yeah. It's critical feedback is what they don't mm-hmm. want. But they say, don't give any critique. But then saying that's great is a critique. It's just a positive critique. Right. <laughs> it's not yeah, like it's a... it's feedback. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that, that is, that's what they really mean is anything that's... Well, what they always want to say is that these alleged bullies are just out there to tear down people's work. And it's like, okay... If, if if you post a picture of your thing and somebody says, well, the thing should be a different color. I mean, is that bullying now? Or is that just information? I, I choose the latter. I think that's totally, you know, up to you to decide if you want to use it or lose it, whatever. Um, you know, if somebody takes the time to say, look... I'm not trying to be intrusive and I really don't want to hurt your feelings. And I just want to provide you some information for future projects. And so you just might want to be aware that these things, because of all these reasons and this, that, and the other should have been a different color. And you might want to take note of that, but your work is great. So really I'm not trying to be mean. Then you can say, all right, cool. You took the time and the energy to be super diplomatic about it. And that's a great thing. Sure. That's good. On the other hand, if somebody's like, holy shit, you must be a fucking idiot. Everybody knows that the thing was not that color. Only a dumbass would paint it that color. Do some research. I mean, that obviously is unacceptable. Nobody's advocating for that. Nobody's saying that that's okay. But to me, when you're like butthurt because somebody just said, hey, look, the thing should be a different color. Yeah, that's a personal problem. No. Oh. Maybe that's harsh, but that's where I stand. No, it's just pretty much why I don't really comment whenever I see something. <laughs> yeah. Like, I know a lot about the, the Hetzer, and if I if people will paint that thing six ways to Sunday. People will copy bad box art. 
And I'm just like, well, that's that never happened. They they had yeah. factory camouflage schemes from from a certain point. Like it's oh, but they applied it in the field using no, toothbrushes. No, they didn't. And, <laughs> and paint that they watered down with horse urine. Everybody knows that. Ironically, if you do a little research, you can find them rolling out the factory gates in the camouflage scheme. But hey, <laughs> <laughs> but again, like it, it, it's it's your model. You paint it the way you want to paint it. Like if you're if you're going to be serious about it, then it, it, if it seems like you're serious about it, then that's when I would probably make some sort of a very diplomatic comment, or even go through a messenger and be like, "Hey, you know, you seem like you're pretty serious about your models, and you know." this may not have been the best way to approach this or what, whatever. But, you know, if it's just people building models and posting them on the internet and, and having a good time, I just leave them alone. Yeah. The tricky sure. thing is I'll quite often ask, are you interested in critique of this model? Just to make sure whether they are or they aren't. But the problem with that is no one wants to look like they can't take it. So they'll say yes when they don't really want to. So it gets a bit, <laughs> do you know what I mean? They don't really want critique, but they don't want to look like they can't handle critique. So they go, yeah. Again, yeah. If, if, they're, if they yeah. seem serious about their craft and, and there's something you can offer or, or if there's a valuable sort of bit of information that, that you can give them or, you know, some sort of a correction that they may not know about the vehicle in question, whatever it might be. I mean, if they seem serious about it, then I, again, I, I would probably go off uh, to a private messenger and just be like, Hey, if you're interested, that's a really cool model, but there's, there's a couple of little issues with it. If you're interested, I can, I can show you what I'm talking about. And if they say no, I'm like, cool, man, it's a great little model. Have, have a good time. You know, the ironic thing is at the same time you get people saying, Oh, these, these experienced modelers, they're elitists. They never share their, tricks and all this sort of thing it's like well yeah they dan yeah <laughs> they'll get told off <laughs> yeah because basically you what you just said you accused them of being elitists and oh, self-appointed yeah. experts yeah I, I mean i just you know i think all that's commendable i just to me i just try to be neutral if i feel compelled to say something and i think also that that part of it i mean you should be able to look at what the person's doing and kind of tell if they need that information, I mean, if somebody's just clearly at a be at the beginning stage, I mean, yeah, they don't they don't need to know like right. The, the, yeah, oh, the, these these tanks came out of the factory from October of forty four, and mm, they're they're blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. they don't they don't need to know gonna, that right. They're not going to benefit from that. So that's one where to me you can just walk on by. If you know, and if you do feel like it's a, just from your best judgment that it's a situation where some 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 you know, additional information might be valuable because also remember, it's not just between you and the person and the and the OP. Like other people read this. Like I yeah. learn stuff from reading other people's conversations all the time. Thanks. So, yeah, you know. So I just try to be neutral. I just try to provide the information. Hey, here's the deal. You know, but but it's some of these folks are just. It's amazing how. <laughs> how rude they get telling you how rude it is to provide unsolicited feedback. <laughs> like, yeah, no, yeah. Nobody yeah, like, asked. Yeah. I'm about, I'm about to prove your point, young man. <laughs> <laughs> like Nobody I had calling me a bell end and all kinds of stuff. And it's, oh, yeah, dude. Yeah. You realize that, yeah. You're proving yeah. my point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ex yeah. That guy totally went off on me and you both simply because we, 
just politely refuse to accept his point of view that yeah, yeah anytime you give negative feedback you're being a dick and you know and then we had the whole other thing where the other person was trying to make the case that look some people just really want to build something it's something that they do to pass the time or help with their ptsd or whatever mental health thing they've got going on and and that's, that is true and it is true but yeah. but as a commenter you can't i mean nobody knows that right Right, that that's not on the original post, is it? No, no. It, exactly. And and so as the commenter, you can't know that, and and so I don't feel like if you simply are trying to be helpful, and say, you know, hey, look, the inside of those of those gear bay doors ne- were never painted. I don't think you should be made to feel like you're some kind of asshole, bully elitist rivet counter for for doing that when you're just really you know trying to be helpful but i mean you do very occasionally come across someone saying that shit or that's wrong and that's 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 what you were talking about earlier that's that's being an arsehole that's not you know but there's a big the problem is when they say oh they're all trolls they equate that with the same as being the same thing as someone saying Mm -hmm. that um they weren't really painted that color maybe you should look at painting it this color instead to them that's the same thing and they're not they're really not the same thing no and they're just but but i think that some i think i i mean i think there's some projecting going on which you know that's that's part of the human condition but yeah it's that's that's my burr and i well sure i mean i think a lot of the people who are who haven't are not even the original poster on these threads who are like any kind of feedback is being a dick are the people who would fucking curl up in a ball and cry if you gave them any kind of feedback on their own work. Yeah. You know, that's, mm-hmm. it's I, just I like, that's... Well, you, that's not your post. That's not your place to say, like uh-huh. if you're thin skinned about feedback, because maybe somebody that was didn't a even happen to you. To you. <laughs> yeah. Or, or it, you know, it did, but it's so far out of context for this thread that nobody knows except you. Like, well, you're not the original poster. Like, why Calm are you down? Coming? Yeah. You, Sometimes look, they're just, even white knighting. It's not even yeah. their post, but they right. That's what, yeah. take oh, yeah. offense on someone else's behalf. You know, and it's like, and they're not that thin skinned, but they assume other people are. So they want to stop you being rude to people who aren't, you know, who probably are fine with it. Yeah, it's 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 just as presumptuous for them to say, Nobody wants that kind of feedback as it is f- for me to assume that anybody does want that kind of feedback, right? There's exactly equal amounts of evidence there. And so to me, it, you just, you just be, you know, you just have to make, keep your commentary neutral to positive and Hey, then the rest of it's on the receiver. Uh, and so, but anyway, to sort of tie it off, I think a lot of it also comes down to the moderation of these groups. I mean, if you don't want to allow any kind of, of, of critique, put it in the rules. Just say so. And that's fine because then that now it's the house rules. And I might not agree with it, but I'm going to respect it. And everybody, you know, everybody should. But you can't be, and we've found this out in SMCG over the years, you can't be wishy-washy about it. Oh, you have yeah, to be yeah. consistent. And, and... If you're going to allow the feedback, 
you have to be just as firm with the guy who loses his shit over the feedback as you are with the guy who gives shitty feedback. So, you know, if somebody says, hey, those things were never that color, and the OP turns into a little bitch and starts throwing a hissy fit, that's a penalty, right? You're not going to go after the guy who said the thing shouldn't be that color. And that's a real problem in a lot of these groups is that the moderation doesn't go both ways. So anyway, yeah, sorry, that, that ran long, but that was my burr. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so anyway, Chris, you thought of, you remembered what your, yeah. what your goat head was? People that complain about the price of kits versus oh, that's the right. kits prices in <laughs> 1970. <laughs> now, uh, fair disclosure, I recently bitched and moaned like a little whiny, whiny, whiny bitch about the price of the new Airfix Buccaneer because I thought it was too expensive for an Airfix kit. That was, and what is it? Is it <laughs> in my defence? Like... It's seventy pounds, which I think is about ninety hundred dollars, something like that, mm-hmm. for uh, an Airfix kit. I mean, it's quite a big kit, but still, it's it's Airfix for fuck's sake. I mean, the the whole big selling point of Airfix, without turning my burr into Airfix, was that they're cheap because you know they're for beginners and what have you, and for casual modelers. Well, this ain't cheap anyway. You get this a lot, and people go in, oh, I can't believe the price of kits these days. When I was a kid in 1970, I could go to the store and buy a kit and some testers tube glue to shove up my nose and a house brush to slap on the fucking <laughs> testers enamels with and still have change for a buckeye and a pack of smokes from five cents and all this, right? And it's like, now these days, kits cost like 20 bucks. Let's be realistic. Fifty bucks. Yeah, and nothing like, costs yeah, twenty but, bucks. Yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah, but a pint of beer in nineteen seventy cost ten p. It now costs five quid. It's this thing we like to call economists like to call inflation, where the value of money changes over time. And the seventies was fifty years ago. Well, forty odd fifty. I was born in the seventies. Not quite that long. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much <laughs> but uh you know it's a long long time ago and a house back then costs cost less than a tenth of what it costs now over time things become more expensive and guess what what you were earning back then was a fraction of what you earn now that's how these things work you can't compare the two prices no i mean sometimes yeah. people just need i feel like they just need to moan about shit it's like mm. yeah yeah, okay. Yeah, things are expensive. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. You probably aren't building what you're buying anyway, so you don't need to fucking buy another kit. <laughs> yeah, buy less kits. There you go. Buy less, <laughs> build still more. still frog kits from the 70s. Just build one of them. <laughs> Well, the thing that always annoys me about those discussions is that there's, you know, there's, there's always the dude that's like, kits are too expensive. There's no reason they should cost this much. And I'm like, really? I mean, how, how do you know that? Have you seen the books? Did did Mr. Tamia invite you down to the headquarters and take you to the accounting department and show you all the numbers? I mean, really? Because that's the only way you can know if it is actually overpriced, right? They Near have a Culpa, business plan. Maybe that Buccaneer cost Airfix a lot of money to make. Fair enough. I, it could maybe be. It could be. I mean, there's a lot of shit that goes into that. I mean, if they have... If they spend a half million dollars on tooling, they've got to amortize that. They've got to pay for that over a period of time. They don't just whip out the checkbook 
and 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 every company has a different formula for the way they do that. I mean, they might take ten years to pay for that tooling. They may they may take five, but the bottom line is that the charge to the accounting roster is what's going to dictate what they decide. I mean, right, Tracy, you get this because you have mm-hmm. costs. You have you know, and, yeah. and ultimately that your percentage of 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 your retail price that you want to. Like you, what food costs should be a maximum of twenty five percent. I learned that watching Robert Irvine on the Food Network. So whatever it is, that's what dictates your 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 sales price, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, our it's the the comparison that immediately popped to mind was how many at least here in the states, how many new breweries are popping up all the time. So these new breweries kind of come out of nowhere. Well. They have to buy this equipment to make the mm-hmm. beer, and that equipment yep. is not inexpensive. This is my equivalent to tooling up to to make a kit. Without the equipment, you don't get the beer. Without the tooling, you don't get the kit. It does cost X amount of money for the tooling. Mm-hmm. It costs X amount of money for this brewing equipment. The choice at that point is, are you going to charge more for your beer to try to make up that money in a shorter amount of time, or are you going to charge a little less for your beer make it up over a longer time, but maybe hopefully sell more beer because it's a little cheaper. Mm-hmm. But those are choices you make, right? Right. Yeah. And, and every, literally every product, right? Yeah. Has to, I mean, it's every product but, has to sort of go through that, that, that analysis. Right. And if you're, if your beer is shit, you may be in for a lot of trouble even getting your money back. And the same goes for kits, right? You may spend a lot of money, putting this kit together, this is going to be a nice little segue, by the way, you mm-hmm. you've spend a lot of money getting the tooling made for this kit, and then the kit pops out the other side, and it doesn't fit together for shit, and people are complaining about it, and then mm-hmm. you might not be selling enough of those kits to make up the money for what you spent producing it. What it boils down to for me is, uh, as a consumer, you get to decide whether the product is worth the amount of money they're charging to you. Right. What you to don't you. get to decide is whether it's expensive or whether it's you can't you don't know that. Right. There's you no can't say whether the market knows would would stand it or not. All you know is whether you're willing to pay that money for that product. Mm-hmm. That's, That's all you exa- got. Yep. That's exactly right. I mean and it can get even super even even more complicated than that. Like does anybody think Airfix ever actually paid for the tooling on the typhoons? I mean, they may be using other kit releases to pay for older tooling for products that weren't profitable. I, I, I mean, it's accounting is a whole other deal. And well, that's the other problem. People look at one product and yeah. they try and say how much that costs to make, etc. Mm-hmm. No business ever. I mean, you're sure the same with you, Tracy. No business ever individualizes products like that. It's your whole business. And yeah. each part of it plays a part in it, but the whole business and and they say, oh, but they paid off the tooling ages ago. So yeah, they still need staff, they still need premises, they still need to make new products. The power is still going to stay on. Right. Wages have to be paid. Yeah, and those overheads never get cheaper. They get more expensive because inflation. Right. Yeah. You know what? Your power bill didn't used to be the same in 1970. It is as it is now either. If so, you don't want to buy it, don't buy it. But. You don't get to say it's too expensive. Yeah, it it, it can be too expensive for you, but not yeah. not in any other way. 
it's it's what economists call the value proposition and that gets us as tracy said into our topic because uh our interview segment that i didn't even i'm such a mess i didn't even talk about the fact that here in a little bit we're going to be doing an interview that i think you guys are going to love because it is with a kit manufacturer and we've been wanting to do that for a long time and it's going to be really cool because it's with the guys from arma and they by all reports, are making very high-quality kits. And that's part of the value proposition for us as modelers is, is, you know, what do we want out of our projects? Uh, and how do we evaluate kit quality? And uh, that's that's going to be our topic for the next few minutes. So, All right. I'll, I'll run with it. So I'll, I'll kind of tie it into the people who moan about things a lot. Because there's no shortage of that, right? Um, <laughs> right here in this. That's why we're here yeah. on this yeah. podcast, <laughs> moaning about shit. We're gonna moan about the people who moan about shit. Mm. How, meta, how meta are we? Is, right. That's literally what we just did with Willsburg. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let, let's say you got two manufacturers who are releasing the same thing. You know, you got uh, ICM and, and Rich Model both announced the uh, the French tank, the FCM 36. Uh, you've got uh, phew, several, uh, was it Border? Uh, I feel like it's it's been the same with the Leopard and the Abrams recently where, and recently I mean the last five years, I guess, where there's kits coming out and then two competitive companies are announcing them and people are like, oh, well, instead of, them both releasing the same thing, why don't they release the thing I want to be released instead of that? But, <coughs> Spitfires. <laughs> so, I mean, for, for a cons- from a consumer standpoint, right, you've got two companies manufacturing the same vehicle. You've At that point, you you might have two varying price points to choose from. You might also have two different, vastly different uh, kits in terms of quality and, and detail. Um, so, I mean, part of what you want as a modeler is you want the best bang for your buck. You want good detail. You want something that's affordable, but not over the top. Right. But you also want it to fit together. Like it's, it's one thing like buying it and opening it and smelling the sprues and, you know, <laughs> going through the instructions and being like, these instructions are shit. And, because they all are, right? Everybody complains about the instructions. But, you know, once you start, like, putting it together, it should fit together relatively well. Or how much value are you really getting? Like, you're you're modeling joy as it plummets down to the basement. Uh, <laughs> you know, your, your fucks go draining out into your... Yeah. 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 So it's like, you know, fucking rats in front of a flood. There go all my fucks. Oh. It's a fuck uh, suck. <laughs> but in addition to just an affordable product with quality and detail, it's got to fit together pretty well. I, I don't know, Tracy. To me, you sound right now kind of like you're just an assembler and not a real modeler. Well, I mean, I'll add whatever I fucking want to <laughs> add for sure. But on the whole, like, I, sh- it shouldn't be like your basic whole tub assembly on a, on a tank shouldn't make you want to pull out your fucking hair. Like <laughs> the, the basics have any. Yeah. <laughs> the basics should fit together well. Like the, your your canopy should fit your fucking fuselage, right? 
if you have to shim out the fuselage and to get the fucking fuselage to fit the canopy and vice versa, then, like, what the fuck, man? Like, you get to a certain point, and this... I don't know that it's like this with all aircraft models because I'm not really an aircraft modeler, but the aircraft models that I build are limited run, short run, just jankety little kits that whenever you glue the cockpit floor in and glue the instrument panel in and you go to close up the fuselages, they never fucking meet because the instrument panel's too wide or the cockpit floor is too wide. Like, did you not assemble the fucking thing before you released it? Like, <laughs> what's what's going on? You know, like, yeah, I, I think you know, and it's it's the twenty first century. You've got people who are designing things in three D. They're printing things in three D. There is an expectation that kits fit better than they used to. And, and I mean, used to. I mean, like you know, short run kits from like fucking eighties and nineties and things like that. Like, Ravel and Monogram kits. You know that's kit by kit basis, whether they fit worth the shit or, or not the old ones, you know, but, but at this point, I think that's the expectation, right? Do you buy a kit and no matter what the level of detail is, the fucking thing should, it should fit. go together. It should go together. Yeah. Right. That that's really it. Like if it doesn't do that, then what the fuck? That's a waste of money. Yeah. And I don't think there's much excuse for it. I mean, yeah, there's, <laughs> nothing's perfect i mean look as an engineer i'll tell you that shit that looks perfect on the computer screen doesn't always come out of the tooling that way that's that's just reality but that's but that's why you have to test even after you know that's why you do test shots and that's why you have tooling change orders i I mean yeah it costs money but that's that's what that's just part of part of the deal and i i don't think that there's any reason given all of the tools that these companies have at their disposal for anything that just doesn't fit well, especially when you've probably got examples. I mean, like you were talking about the, the, the leopard, right? Yeah. I mean, are the, somebody else has done kits of leopards before, right? Yeah, of course. It's not the first yeah. leopard kit. So you as a, you know, as xyz model making company can go out and buy literally all of the previous kits that were ever done and you can look at how they engineered those things and you can look at and the if mistakes. you're hobby boss you can still fuck it up <laughs> <laughs> famously with the leopards yeah yeah they, they didn't do, they tried to release all of them off of one mold even though there's major differences but but i mean yeah whatever they open did they open the floodgates and, and allow other people to 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 gauge the interest in the vehicle i don't know they're like top gear ambitious but rubbish (laughs) that's gonna generate some hate mail i don't think we're gonna get a whole lot of hobby boss defenders right man (laughs) not for that leopard not for that leopard no but yeah you know we've got a a buddy who's putting together a kit it's it, it is state of the art you know it is it is 3d designed it is uh chris is it is it resin printed or is it 3D printed? It's resin printed. Uh, right? it, uh, yeah, 3D print master casting resin, I believe. Yeah. And he is having just loads and loads of problems, which it, it, it kind of blows your mind. I mean, the problems he's having with the fit of this kit are substantial. Yeah, they're not minor alignment issues. They're real. They're, they're really steps sub- and stuff. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, and it, it just kind of blows your mind. Like, okay, this kit was designed less than two years ago. Like, this should be a 21st century kit. It should, like, whether it's detailed enough for you or whether it's accurate enough for you is one thing, but it should fit together. Yeah, and I will say that, I mean, injection molding is is pretty predictable, and the tolerances are pretty tight, and you should be able to do pretty well with that. There's no excuse there. When it comes to resin casting and 3D printing, shit, all that shit goes out the window. I mean, Chris, I don't have to tell you about you know resin shrinkage and all of that stuff. And 3D printing is one of those things where you can design it down to the mutts nuts on the computer screen, and then when it actually when you print it, because so much depends on the type of resin you use, the type of printer you use, the orientation of the parts, and it can get really squirrely. But we all know that at this point. And so if you're designing something like that with injection molding tolerances and you're expecting it to work, you're wrong. That's not going to work out well for you. You have to account for it in, 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 the, in the engineering you know this thing is going to be, you know, shrinky and warpy, so you have to account for that. And it's hard for it to be perfect, but if you're just I think what we get a lot of is that is it's so easy to just make something look cool on the computer and then just walk away from it. Oh, that's going to be super cool. We'll generate some STL files, we'll do the 3D prints, bang, that's got to work. And so I think that a lot of these, as, as that becomes more and more democratized and more small shops are producing stuff like that, they're going to have to, to learn to take that stuff into account if they want to survive. I don't really have anything to add to that. I mean, it's, it's all true. You know, there, there are issues with it. But I do think that this particular kit, I mean, I've built kits built uh, made from 3D, 3D Masters to much finer tolerances, ship kits and what have you that fit like a dream. They've actually clicked together. Uh, and obviously it varies designer to designer. And they were printed and then cast in resin as well. The, the, the um, all the ship kits from Starling models are 3d designed and they're absolutely, be- they're some of the best kits period of any genre, any material I've ever built. They really go together. Well, thanks Mike, send me the five pound in the post. <laughs> and um, I'm, I'm joking. He's a friend of mine, but really honestly, I love those kits. They're, 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 um, a great example of what you can do with the medium but this kit was really quite shonky and you would expect for the kind of money it is and the kind of prestige of the kit as well because it's quite a famous aircraft and it was very much in demand and what have you that it would be better but it actually wasn't so yeah, it's a bit of a disappointment for me though this changes the subject a little bit there's two ways i approach what i model i it's either subject specific or it's because it's a nice kit. And if it's a subject specific, I'll take on a shitty kit. But what I don't want to do is pay new kit prices for a shitty kit. Like the plastic potato, the re- uh, the AZ models um, KI-48, the retail price is something like £50. It's not a £50 kit. You know, it's maybe a £20 kit. Well, maybe it costs them £50 to make, but I wouldn't want to pay more than £20 for it. Because of the, because of the experience that you're having with it yeah yeah because the amount of work i'm having to put into it you know if i pay more i expect to do less work is what i'm saying so uh i mean i'm also 
it's on hold now. I'm building a, a uh, Ukraine war diorama, and I wanted uh, a T-72B3. I wanted a, a pretty straightforward kit, so I got the trumpeter kit. And all right, trumpeter kits aren't the best, but I know it will go together really well. And I could spend all my extra work on it, improving and modifying it, not just putting the fucking thing together. Right, if you wanted to just put it together, Ming makes a, a T-72B3 that, that... Well, this is a 2017 mod, which I don't need Trump to make it. Ah. Specific type with slat armor, because it matched a photo from the war. But I know that it it's worth spending £50 on, because it will go together. And I can spend all my time doing the stuff I enjoy, super detailing, rather than just trying to fucking fill gaps. I, you know, if it was a case of filling gaps, I'd pick another subject. <laughs> I wouldn't spend that kind of money on it. I, th- I think what you're saying is that that when it goes together well and it costs a lot, you feel like that the manufacturer earned their money fairly, right? Well, that, I feel like I'm getting what I paid for. I mean, right. I mean, but 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 you I mean, you don't really know because you weren't there. You you, you didn't get to sit there and watch how they did the engineering and, and see how many hours they spent or whatever. But you just instinctively feel like they put time and energy into this. And I'm okay paying them for that, right? It's not even that. It's it's the value of my time. Yeah. How much money will I give in order to save myself time on something? But I won't give a lot of money if it isn't going to improve my experience. I mean, I guess the 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 question you would ask yourself if you had two uh, two kits of the same subject from two different manufacturers, one of whom you know the uh, you're going to have to do a lot of work to, but it's very cheap. And one that you don't have to do a lot of work to, but it's more expensive. Which one are you going to buy? Yeah, I mean, that, and really, that's going to depend on how much I'm interested in this. You know, whether there is a modern, up-to-date kit, how much I'm interested in the subject. Like the reason I'm building this AZ Models kit is because it is the only 148th Ki48. There is no other kit. If there was another kit by Tamiya and it costs eighty pounds, I'd seriously be thinking about spending that kind of money because it's Tamiya. You know, yeah. <laughs> I could spend all my time super detailing it. Although I do take a perverse pleasure in rescribing and riveting stuff like that. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe the way I look at it is, is harsh, but I kind of feel like if somebody, you know, hands me a product that costs a lot and it's a piece of shit, then I feel like I kind of got defrauded. Like, clearly yeah. you didn't take the time and you didn't put energy into it. You didn't give a shit. And I, now I'm going to, pay you you know but but you went ahead and charged me like you did anyway right does that make sense i just feel like that's not that's not particularly honest and that annoys me it's almost like they don't give a fuck if it doesn't fit together it's like what were they doing right and if you don't give a fuck if if you don't give a fuck why should i care about your product why should you survive in the marketplace well that's kind of what it comes down to right like ultimately i think as a business you would hope that like okay you spend x amount of money you build a kit you put it out in there into the market. If the kit fits well, if it sells well, and it fits together well, then hopefully more people will build it and it will have more of a presence on the internet as a built model. And that might mm-hmm. increase your sales. If you if people buy it and one or two people on the internet who are pretty prominent and know what they're talking about have just tried to assemble the thing and it's garbage and their video ends with them throwing it in the bin. <laughs> or then, putting it in a blender. <laughs> or putting it in a blender. <laughs> then the one that you have in your stash is never going to get built. 
Mm-hmm. It's yep. you, you've already spent the money. You take the hit. It's never going to get built. But if it's a good buildable model that they put time and effort and research and and the end product is a good buildable model, then as you see people building it, your your desire to build the one that you've got in your stash grows, and you might exactly. And that that model actually might get built by you and and be out on the internet, and then you know. If there's 20 dozen of those models very well built out on the internet, then the guy looking at it in the shop is like, you know what? I've seen a lot of great builds of this kit. I'm going to buy this kit. And, you know, that's what the manufacturer wants. But And you'd think that mechanism would be pretty obvious, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you would. But, it's, but... But, it, but it seems like that some of these guys, like one thing that I really love about Arma is that they they interact with the market. Like they get that. And they're they're. I think as we'll find out in the interview, they are model makers themselves. So they understand the kind of conversations that are going on in the, in the community and they're taking advantage of that. And I think that's, to me, that's obvious, but a lot of the other manufacturers are not doing that. Most right. are not. Also, as we'll find out, they sit around and test build the, that's what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, as yeah. we will find out, they all sit down and test build the model at various stages, and if it doesn't work, and they also buy other people's kits and see how those kits are engineered. You know, they there was a to me a zero that they had. You know, they buy those kits to see how they're engineered to see the best way to engineer their product, and then at various stages they test build a product, and if it doesn't, mm-hmm. if bits and pieces don't fit together well, then they fix it before they release it. I mean, that's. I think that's what you. That's what modelers expect from a state of the art kit now. Is, yeah. You know, and so it's it's really shocking when. I guess it shouldn't be, but if your expectation is that all kits coming out in 2022 are going to go together well, I, I guess it's a little bit of a a, a shock whenever they don't. Because I think that's kind of what the expectation of the market is now, um, yeah, and I don't and I don't think it's an unreasonable expectation. As a sort of a subset of all this, because I know this is a thing too. There's always these guys who are like, "Well, you should just not you you shouldn't you shouldn't be giving the manufacturer a hard time. You shouldn't give them shit." And and it's there's the host of reasons why, you know, uh, our our legion. Well, and, and it's the, well, are you an assembler or a modeler is, is always right up there near the top. Um, and then there's the ones that are like, well, you shouldn't, you shouldn't talk bad about the manufacturer because that's going to hurt their business, whatever. What do you guys think about that particular phenomenon? Well, there's two there. That's the problem. <laughs> two what? <laughs> two things, two phenomenons there. Two, two points to address. Which well, one do you want to well, They're different, <laughs> but the, but but it's the same. But I'm saying it's it's all go, it's all ties back to the idea that you shouldn't talk shit about the manufacturer. That's the thing I'm asking. If I've given them my money for their product, then I'm entitled to say whatever the fuck I want about their product. You've bought the entitlement. Yeah, you've paid for it. Exactly. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> that's the way. Yeah. That's the way. That's just fundamental to capitalism. And you guys know I agree with that. I just was curious, you know, what you thought. I kind of liken these guys who say you should never talk shit about the manufacturer to the people who say that any amount of any of critique, critique is, is bad. Rude. Yeah, <laughs> they're probably there's correlation. They're the same. No, no, no. Now listen, how many people like go on and on about how great Tamiya is? Every time Tamiya releases something, oh my god, this is great. I mean, and I'm not saying it's not, 
I'm just saying they've spent their money. They can say what they like. And, and when I say that, I don't mean that people should, because they've spent money, talk shit, right? Like, it's a lot like reviewing a restaurant, which I have to deal with all the time, right? You paid your money. You're entitled to say what you like. If it's There you go. If it's if you're praising me and my restaurant and the food and the product, then I'm going to respond and thank you for the time and the and for taking the time to say so. That that means a lot to me. It helps my business, so I always take time to respond. If you say something that's incorrect, then I respond to that too because this is going out into the public forum, right? Mm-hmm. If you complain about some shit. Sometimes I'll respond. If it's a little moan, I won't. If it's a big moan, then I'm like, crack my knuckles and get down to business and be like, yeah, no, man, that ain't right. But what I'm saying, the point I'm trying to make is you spend your money, you get you, you get the right to say what you want. So mm-hmm. just because we say that doesn't mean that we're, we're opening the door to people just talking shit about these manufacturers because people like Tamiya, when they release something new, you pay your money, you say what you like they get a lot of praise. Yeah. And I think I think that's the other part of critique, right? Is like being able to say good things is just as important as being able to say bad things. Like if you can say one, you should be able to say the other. Well, maybe even more important. I I mean, look, I feel like discontent is the engine of improvement. And if nobody ever says that they're unhappy, nothing ever gets better. So I, it's just for me, that's just a fundamental thing. But I think what you're saying, too, is you as the manufacturer of your food can decide what you're going to do with that feedback. That you can, right. you can use it or lose it. It's up to you. Yeah. There's a difference, though. Yeah, there is a difference. People that come into Tracy's restaurant, I presume, know how to eat. <laughs> Whereas <laughs> I've seen, particularly the, the AFE Club Churchill kits, I've seen people slagging them off saying they're unbuildable or they're trash. They're not easy to build. By which I don't mean you have to put a lot of work into building them. You just have to put a bit of skill and a bit of like intelligence into building them. They're not, you know, they're not Tamiya. They don't just fall together. But everything on it fits. It's just you have to be careful and test fit and go slowly because the suspension is, is incredibly complicated compared to a lot of other kits. And also I've seen people put the mud guards on in the wrong order so they try and put one that should slip under the edge of another one on top of it instead and then complain it doesn't fit and it's like well, you, you didn't look at the instructions you prick well, no the, the parts fit you just didn't put them on the right order you just didn't assemble them correctly but then they'll blame the kit so you do get people yeah. saying this kit's trash when they're just not very good at building models well and I think I think that there's always there's always truth in that situation uh, because you know human beings can always find a way to do shit wrong but i will also sort of defend the you know them in at least some situations because as an engineer i believe that if there's more than one way to put the thing together it's wrong that's an engineering problem so if those mud guards or whatever the fuck they are don't automatically line up pretty pretty readily well, that's an engineering problem. They do. You have to be sloppy in how you do it. Yeah, but it doesn't stop people. And, doing and it. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know the the obvious the obvious thing. Well, you follow the instructions is the general way to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, and and ideally everybody would. But you know how it goes. You pick up a part and you look at it and you go, oh, this obviously goes on here like this, and you glue it on. 
And then, like I did at one time, found out that, yes, you could put the firewall of the old tool Tamiya Zero in either frontwards or backwards. <laughs> It'll fit both ways. And if you put it in backwards, you're fucked. And you have to figure out a way to dig it out of there. That, that's an engineering flaw. That, that shouldn't be possible. Uh, uh, Actually, yeah. that's one of the things you pay for on modern Tamiya is little things like mm-hmm. the fact that things are handed and they won't they yep. shouldn't fit in the wrong exactly. hole. Exactly. They've they've institutionalized that and and I yeah. and I and and that's something that they've done better than anybody. I don't understand why more companies haven't copied it. Well, I mean that gets down to their how they do their engineering. Right. And also, you know, you, when you've got a company leading the way in ease of construction and unfuck up ability then it sets the expectations <laughs> that other companies should be well this makes sense this makes perfect sense why is not why aren't everybody not doing this like why aren't uh, all these other companies adopting the same unfuckability to their kit builds <laughs> i just love the idea of mr tamia sat in <laughs> what's it called in, in wherever the tamia uh, uh, factory is in uh, shizoka or whatever Saying, gentlemen, we have a philosophy in this company of unfuck up ability. <laughs> I will brook no fuck up ability. <laughs> I mean, it's it's funny to think about that, but I I think that that in you know obviously in different words that could literally be true. I mean, that's how company culture comes to be defined, right? Because somebody at the top says, "Listen, this is our company's core philosophy. This is going to be what people recognize about our brand, right?" Whereas you know, you take another company, whoever it is, and they don't ever say that. It's just kind of like, well, all right, we're going to just produce the thing. So as their engineers are doing their work on a day-to-day basis, they don't have that little thing in the back of their brain where every time they're designing something, they're thinking. Now, could this be put together in more than one way? Like it's that little sort of checksum. And I, I honestly I mean, think a lot of times it depends whether the engineer's a modeler. Whether could they be. think that way, it, it could be. You know, it could be, but you don't have to be a model maker as an engineer to recognize that you could put shit in. You know, I mean, is it a square that goes into a square hole, or is it a rectangular tab that goes into a rectangular hole? You just eliminated the possibilities by half, right? I just think it even toddlers know that with those little <laughs> right. blocks you get with the bricks to knock through. <laughs> you think? Thing, for sure but it, i mean it gets pretty complex but i think the bottom line is that there's no reason at this point in the history of model making that it's wrong to expect shit to go together that to me is the bottom line yeah i mean i feel like that's the expectation for a 21st century kit is that at, mm. at, at its basic level it should fit together well and and if you're if you're a model making company and you're starting off I mean, don't you, you know, don't you set your, your unattainable goal as like, oh man, I'd love to be as big as Tamiya, or I'd love to be as good as Tamiya, then start taking some lessons from them. Like if they do it right, copy it, if copy that thing, if, if, if they're, if they've figured out a way that you can assemble this thing in only one way, then that's a good thing to take away from how they do things and how you should approach things. Yeah, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. No, you don't. I mean, again, like with any business, 
the food business, the bar business, the stuff that I'm familiar with, if somebody else is doing something really well, steal it. Steal the idea. <laughs> there you go. Like, yep. you know, just again, to kind of <laughs> make the analogy of looking at somebody like doing something different than you. Like Tamia, you know, is, is obviously been in business for decades and they, you just take the little things that they're doing that work. If I see somebody, you know, uh, I, <laughs> I saw somebody <clears throat> who had a, attended an event and I think it was in Austin at a bar and it was, it was called, it was called Prom Hanks, and <laughs> it was a prom where you came dressed as a character from a Tom Hanks movie. <laughs> and I thought to myself, "That's fucking brilliant. That is. is absolutely fucking brilliant." And I stole that shit because it was going on in Austin, you know. And it was, yeah. you know, it, it ended up being a, a, a great event. But like, if it works and somebody else is doing it, like, just I mean. I guess it depends on what your ethics are, but you know, it, it, take the little things that work and apply them to what you're doing. Maybe it's not like you're copying the kit. You're just right. thinking that's a good idea. You know, I mean, it's like, I was just thinking about cars actually, like, uh, even though I don't drive, it's a, as an al- analogy for kits, just because cars in the seventies didn't have power steering, you wouldn't expect to buy a car now that didn't have power steering, but it's the same with, I mean, someone invented that and then everyone else copied it. Someone invented anti-locking brakes and then everyone else copied it. it. You know, there are innovations which become industry standard. Right. It doesn't make you uh, immoral for copying it. it. It's wise, that's all. You know, pe- different companies invent different things at different times and other companies, that's the way to do it. Let's do it that way. Well, it keeps the entire or, industry Or you could be forward. Kitty Hawk and just go out of business really quick. <laughs> Savage. Savage. Ow! All right. Well, somebody who is definitely not going out of business anytime soon, at least if uh, all indicators are pointing the right direction, is Arma Hobby. And they are our interview guest today. So with all that said, let's get right into that part of this episode of the Sprue Cutters Union. Gangsters, let's talk about the details, because I think you'll all agree, the details matter. And if you're as obsessed by detail as we are at the Sprue Cutters Union, you should be buying parts from Annas. Look, I've known Tom Annas for a while, and I can tell you that he is a man with a single-minded dedication to improving detail, whether it's 3D printed parts like knobs, switches, connectors that you can use in cockpits, decals, braided lines for your engines and hoses, or even 3D files that you can print at home on your own 3D printer, Tom's got you covered. He's really thought this through because he's a model maker and he uses this stuff himself. And now, Anis is also the European Union seller for the new book from Inside the Armor called Perfect Pits. So, not only can you buy the stuff you You can read all about how to use it in this neat little volume that our very own Chris Meddings has produced, and it includes articles from Tom, your own Veen, and myself. And don't forget, you can get a Sprue Cutters Union exclusive discount, 15% off when you enter the code SCU at checkout. So, 
If the details matter as much to you as they do to us, head on over to Anyz, that's A-N-Y-Z dot I-O right now and arm yourself with everything you need for your very own perfect pick. Okay, Sprue Cutters, uh, welcome to the interview portion of this podcast. We have uh, with us today, and I'm certain that I'm going to completely screw up the pronunciation, so I apologize in advance. Um, I tell you what, why don't Gregor? Why don't you tell us how to pronounce it? Yes, Grzegorz Mazurowski. I'm not. Yeah, I don't even know how you did that with your with, <laughs> Grzegorz. With, Grzegorz, you can you can call me Greg or Gregor. Okay, we're probably going to just stick with Greg because I don't even know how you just did that with your face and all those consecutive consonants that you guys use over there and it's poland right yes yes it's poland and in fact there are a lot of jokes about my name in polish language even even polish comedy about world war ii uh, has a scene when the polish soldier is captured by germans and they are they are trying to sign uh, to sign his name <laughs> his name is franek his name is easy is franek but he, he wants to make them problems. And he says, my name is Grzegorz Brzęczyszczykiewicz. <laughs> and the German, the German says, what? <laughs> this, is, this is a very famous scene from one of the Polish World War II comedies. I will show you it later. It is on YouTube. I can totally imagine. Well, for everybody out there, um, this is an episode we are super excited about because Grzegorz is from... Is, is, yes. from, is from Arma Hobby, and I know that that is a company that needs no introduction for most of you guys, at least aircraft modelers, because Arma has been getting a lot of attention over the last year or so because they've been just really churning out at an impossibly fast pace a bunch of really amazing 172nd scale aircraft kits. So we're excited about this because we've we've wanted to have a kit manufacturer on here from the very beginning, and, and you're the first. So welcome aboard, Greg. Hello. Hello. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for the invitation. It's a great honor for us. Well, we're glad you could make it. We're going to quiz you on all kinds of things. Uh, but I think, first off, why don't you just sort of introduce yourself, tell us uh, you know, who you are, what you do for ARMA, and kind of how you got into your line of work. Sure. Um, in fact, uh, by profession, I'm journalist and uh, public relations specialist. I was working for some teen years for the National Library of Poland as a press officer uh, previously, then for three years for the Pilecki Institute. It, was, uh, it is a historical scientific institute. Uh, but for many, many years, I think for six or seven years, I was cooperating with uh, guys from Arma Hobby, with uh, Wojtek Buchak and Marcin Ciepierski. I was aiding them with uh, some research and also with uh, social media and uh, uh, public relations. And this year, in, the, in March, uh, I started full-time working for them. It's uh, great fun for me and great satisfaction. And uh, as a modeler, sometimes I introduce myself as a son and father of modelers <laughs> and a modeler myself. <laughs> uh, 
in, uh, you can find uh, online uh, photographs uh, of my father from uh, modeling workshop in Warsaw from uh, early 60s. Oh, wow, very cool. He was uh, making flying models. Yes. Uh, and modeling was the plastic. In myself, uh, I am plastic modeler, but I am making modeler, plastic models for about 40 years already. And uh, it's my passion, of course, like like you. Uh, and working for my hobbies uh, now finally makes me doing what I really like. Yeah, that's very cool. You've been able to, to do what a lot of people really would love to, uh, you know, turn your passion into, uh, into uh, you know, a really cool dream job. So that's that's pretty cool. Um, what specifically is your role at Arma then? Do you do, are you kind of the marketing guy? Not exactly marketing, more, more the public relations, the editor of the website, editor of the blog, of the social media. For for the direct marketing, there are other people, not, not, not many in fact, because we are a small company. Uh, I make the social media, the Facebook mostly, uh, Instagram, uh, and uh, I'm editor of the blog, uh, Arma Hobby News, uh, which publishes uh, a lot of uh, materials, articles about history of aviation, about particular airplanes which we make models, uh, and uh, the galleries of the model, of our models, uh, which people from the whole world are sending to us with comments, with sometimes with a very, very cool approach to, to our models, model kits. Uh, I'm very glad to gather it, uh, everything uh, on our website and to publish it. Well, it's, it's really noticeable that you guys um, interact with the market to a much greater degree, I think, than than just about any other kit manufacturer that I've noticed. I mean, you guys are out there. You're making announcements all the time, and um, you know, on your Facebook page, you actually interact with uh, with with customers. Yes, in in fact, we we even don't consider that contact with market or customers, but just with people, with with our friends. Uh, with the fellow modelers. Uh, I don't know, uh, Tracy, if you remember me, but we met about 20 years ago in World War One Models yeah. Org list. Yes. Yep. This is like some secret mafia thing that all you guys are members <laughs> yes. of, me and Will yes, didn't exactly. even know existed, like the Cosa Nostra. Yeah. It, was, it, was very, it was very underground, for sure. But yeah, I, I've actually pulled up uh, your page on the list website, looking at the models that you posted back then. This would be 2003, 2004. Yes. Yeah, I, I definitely remember some you. Some yes. Fokker, some uh, Aviatic Berg, yeah. Yes, Aviatic Berg, yes, yes. I, I was fan of Austro-Hungarian aviation at that time. Yeah. So do you guys plan on doing any small-scale World War One aircraft, or is it? do you think you're strictly going to... We have produced uh, produced the Fokker and Decker, the D8. Mm. Yes. Yes, the, the Razor. It, it is a cool, cool small model kit, but uh, it's as, not as popular as Mustangs or Hurricanes, of course. No, of course mm -hmm. not. Yep, yep. Well, we're going to get to uh, questions about what your future plans are, because I know a lot of people have want to hear that. So we're going to get to that. Um, but I want to see your, I want to see some of your work. Tracy, can you share the screen? Because I want to see your stuff. Are you primarily an aircraft modeler, Greg? 
Yes, uh, yes, but uh, I also built uh, some armor and some ships. Uh, in in armor and in airplanes, I'm strictly one seventy second modeler. Uh, ships I make smaller. Oh, these are very very old things. Very yes, very this old. Is, uh-huh. This is my aviatic bird made of uh, Toko kit. Uh, I don't know if you remember Toko. It's it's actually it's from Ukraine, and I think that uh, the same people now uh, make Roden uh, company, or there is some connection between them. I have the uh, Toko the aviatic berg on my desk that I've been kind of putzing around with a little bit as well. That same kit. Yes, yes, exactly. And uh, this is, I think it's Albatros, effect. so so it's Austro-Hungarian Albatros. And, and this is uh, Blue Max or Pegasus British kit, very old one. Oh, Pegasus, it says there. Yes, the, the red one yep. on the bottom. Yep, yeah, it says old Pegasus kit. Well, we'll get some we'll get some good pictures, and we may even bug you to send us some, and we'll get them up on the on the uh, Sprue Cutters Union page when we post the interview, because I know that our listeners will want to see your work as well, and I, I think that's really cool. I think that that you know that interaction with with you know your friends, as you say, I mean that that really speaks to the way you guys look at the marketplace, and I think that's that that that, that that's kind of magic because. You know, when when a company is is authentic like that, um, it, it I mean that's the best kind of marketing. Like you don't almost don't even have to advertise because it just sort of takes care of itself. Yes, <laughs> I hope so. So, tell us a little bit about the company itself. Uh, then, um, how long has Arma? been uh in action and how many people work there you know just kind of give us the rundown sure uh, i think arma has about eight years is eight years old about uh, it started as attack squadron and uh, arma hobby uh, they because i was not with them at that time they were producing uh, accessories uh, made in that way that they produced 3D prints uh, and uh, replicated it in resin, traditional way. These were bombs, rockets, uh, modifications. One of one of uh, conversions was one of the first conversions was conversion of F-16 fighter uh, into version which is used by Polish Air Force, and it was uh, very quick success. Uh, the the two founders and owners of the Arma Hobby and Attack Squadron are Wojtek Buchak and Marcin Ciepierski. Uh, they are both modelers, uh, more active than myself because I, I like models and I build some models, but they, they build a lot of models. Uh, they started uh, their friendship uh, in Warsaw Palace of Culture uh, and Palace of Youth. It, it was just communist times uh, when there was a modeling workshop uh, open for, for young people. They were coming there and building models. Uh, then they started to work uh, in Mirage Hobby, Polish company, which you maybe know. Uh, Marcin Ciepierski has studied uh, in the Academy of Fine Art in Warsaw. He was studying the design, so he's a professional designer. Uh, he knows how to design uh, things. 
He can design a mug, he can design a table, and also he can design a model kit. So if you see that uh, our model kits are friendly for users, it's his professional skill. He's what we might call an industrial designer. Yes, exactly, exactly. It, it is in, in Polish, it's called exactly industrial design. Got it. But it sounds like he's also got some engineering experience. I mean, I'm sure he's gained a lot of that from the work that he's done. And then, he, you know, I mean, if he's bringing his model making brain into it as well, I mean, that's a really good combination. Yes. Wojtek Buchak is a biologist. He's a specialist of frogs, physiology of frogs. <laughs> <laughs> and Marcin and Wojtek are two main people in Armachop. They're owners, founders, and the strategists. Wojtek keeps all the company in his hands and uh, he creates a strategy. And Marcin is main designer because we have also another 3D designer. It's Maciek Wroński. We call him Wrona. Wrona means crow in English. And uh, it's interesting that uh, Maciek, the, the second 3D designer, also uh, they, uh, was studying the uh, industrial design with Marcin. So they both are quite good specialists in what they do. Unfortunately, uh, Maciek uh, Vrona is not a modeler. Some some month ago, he sat down at the desk and built a few uh, model kits of various companies to to check how how it's done. Yes, but he's not a fan of modeling. Uh, we have Zbyszek Malicki, who is. Uh, two dimensions designer so he designs the box arts the instructions for the kids mm. uh, advertising in magazines uh, and we have a bunch of very cool people who are managing the sh web website the shop uh, the logistics and the whole business there are four of them Anya another Maciek Michał and the third Maciek so if you are ordering kits, you are ordering them uh, from uh, that team. Very cool. Well, it sounds like you've got a great team and some talented folks, and uh, that you guys, you know, that I mean, it, even if it's even if it's not everybody, that you're bringing that sort of passion for scale modeling into into the business. So it's uh, you know it's that's that's a good combination. I'm. I'm curious about all kinds of things that are that are going on with you guys. I got my hands on my first Arma kit just recently because I'm going to be building it for the Musaru Cup, the your new P51B slash C Mustang, and it's my first experience with 172nd. I've honestly never built one, so this is kind of a new thing for me. And I have to say, I was super impressed with. I must, with a I lot must of say things. that I heard a podcast when you said that 172nd kids are good to trash bin. It was some, some years ago. But it is on the yeah, internet. I probably did. I probably did. I probably did. I am frequently saying dumb shit that I then have to retract later or you know work my way out of. So yeah, I've set myself up. I've set myself up for this, and and I you know and the and the Musaru Cup thing is going to be pretty intense because we've got like eight or ten people playing this year. All you know, all of who are very good, and then there's me. So it's it's going to be really interesting. You guys are going to be getting a lot of publicity 
um, you know, over the next year. I think, I don't know if you planned it, but it was a brilliant marketing move if you did. I think it's via Lightspeed Global in Canada. Yeah, but it's 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 going to be, I mean, it, it's, it, like I said, if you planned it, it was brilliant. If not, you know, I, I hope you're... Take, I hope take you're credit for it anyway. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Thank you. Thank you. For sure, we plan a lot of things, but you know that the world is complex and life is complex. Then came, comes the COVID epidemic and, and other things, the war in Ukraine and uh, many times our plans are go somewhere, <laughs> but uh, still we, I think that uh, we have some success uh, in what we plan and in what we do. I have to say, if the quality of the kit wasn't as high, I doubt Will would have done 172nd. <laughs> it's only because it's a really good kit that he's yeah. happy to do it. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's not wrong. The the truth is, I was interested in building that Mustang kit before it fell in my lap for the Musaru Cup. I was probably going to do it anyway because I like to check out new stuff and push the you know the the boundaries of my skills and um and I and I you know but I never I, I never saw anything else in one seventy second that made me interested enough to think that would be the right time to do it. So. Yeah, Chris is absolutely right about that. I I was really impressed with the instruction sheet for one thing. Um, you, you know, your guy who's doing that is clearly talented, and I don't know if he's a model maker or not. But from a model maker perspective, it's a good instruction sheet. Yes, I, yes, the know, guy, like the guy who who made the instructions is a good model maker. Is his Bishak? His, in fact, in Amar Hobby there are four four model makers. Myself, uh, which uh, I think I'm the less talented of the models, and of, for sure I'm the le least active of of our th four. Zbyszek is very active modeler. He's also a head of uh, Warsaw IPMS, uh, and uh, Marcin and Wojtek, as I told you. Even even today we were talking about uh, some group builds uh, inside of our hobby. We decided to build hurricanes this month. Our four. So, so is that what you guys do? You you all you all build the kits together and compare notes. Yes. Sometimes, not not, cool. not every month, but yes. And so, and so, does that also happen during the development process? Like, how many times have you built the Mustang at this point? And <laughs> uh, in fact, I've never built this Mustang. I've uh, assembled it without the glue uh, to check how the parts fit. But I never had time uh, to build uh, full, good painted Mustang. In fact, I, I must say that since I came to Arma Hobby in March this year, I had very few, little time for modeling because, you know, I'm in a new job. Uh, I have to learn a lot. And in fact, uh, not only I have to learn, but I really, really like and want to do a lot for the company because we are just just small company we're just beginners in some some things and we really all work hard to push it forward that's great well, to hear it's, it's very yeah, but it is. It's really of course i have here i can show you on my desk i'm here now uh, at the office i'm sitting at my desk i have this is this is tamiya zero which 
I don't build, but we have been checking some things in, inside of the box. Here is our Hurricane Dieppe Deluxe set. And as you can see, this is Wildcat. Hello. This is Hayate uh, Fuselage. We have been checking some things on it. And this is another Hayate, which are all assembled but not painted. And we have a lot, a lot of such models partially built here because we are always talking about it, checking some solutions, comparing, improving. Kristen, you just get the Hayate. I well, actually I got two. Oh, great! Because <laughs> it looks so good, I brought two of them. But I also have, I think, yeah, the one forty-eight PZL. Yes, yes, it's a great kit. It's first. It's first our uh, forty-eight kit, and I think it's. Uh, oh, I shouldn't say that, but I think it's good. I think uh, even if it's first our first kit in one forty-eight, uh, it works. I think it's great. Really good. Yes. The only reason I haven't built it is because when it came out, four or five people did really good versions. And I just thought I can't do anything they haven't done. So I'll, I'll do it another time. I'll leave it for now. But Also, it's a yeah, very really, special airplane really for Poles because it was our yeah. our Spitfire from 1939. Yeah. Yes, it was our fighter, which defended Poland in September 1939 and all those guys who then fought in Battle of Britain in 303 squadron initially were fighting on and learning and training on this airplane. Uh, fortunately, we have uh, one uh, surviving in our Kharkov Museum. It's, it was a kind of miracle because, uh, in fact, Poland has uh, very, very few airplanes from the before the war because everybody was destroying them. The, the Germans were destroying them, the Russians were destroying them, and even post-war, the Polish communists who didn't like the pre-war Poland were destroying all which reminded that time and that world. But this particular Pezetel uh, airplane was captured by Germans and uh, Gering, Gering, uh, Marshal Gering personally took it to his collection of airplanes in Berlin. Then when uh, RAF was bombing Berlin, uh, this collection was partially damaged and uh, Germans destroyed to save it and preserve in some uh, rear area. And that rear area turned out to be Western Poland. And after the war, when Germans uh, were uh, defeated, some Polish people found out that there is a train full of some airplanes and that Pezetel was there, along with uh, uh, Ernst Udet Curtis, which Udet was using for training, uh, dive bombing training, the Curtis uh, biplane fighter, and with uh, Messerschmitt uh, 209, that's a record-breaking airplane, which is still preserved in Krakow Museum. And also some, some very, very early airplanes like Etrich Taube and Antoinette from very beginning period of aviation. Yes, inside of the train, dismantled. This, the Boy Scouts found it. Oh, really that's wow. true that's yeah that's that's cool so is the the p11 is the only thing you guys have produced it yourselves in 148 at this point right but the yes. hurricane's coming 
Yes, the hurricane is coming. The hurricane is coming. The hurricane. We are working working on it. In fact, uh, maybe I I want to tell a bit more about it. How, how we make how we produce uh, model kits because mm, yes, it's, it's quite important here. Oh yeah, I've I've got a whole list of questions I want to ask you about yes. that for sure. Because you know I've this got is... I've got engineering and manufacturing background, so. Yeah, trust me, we're going to cover all that stuff. All right, so so I will I, I will tell it very shortly now, and then we can evaluate and uh, make it more. So uh, it's very important to understand it then that we at Arma Hobby do not carve uh, metal molds, and we do not inject plastic. We do it in different company, uh, all the same every time, and we cooperate with them very strictly every day on everyday basis but we do not it uh, we we de we design 3d models of the airplanes then we turn it into 3d model of the plastic sprue then this is corrected by the guys from the company from the tooling workshop and finally the tools are producing the metal mold so uh, the hurricane is uh, already outside of our hobby. So we have done the our our design, our project, and now the machines uh, the machines are carving metal. Of course, we will be correcting it. We will, we will take care to do it as uh, as as good as possible to do it properly. Uh, but uh, we no longer have to design or do something with it so it i think i think nice. it's it will be quite soon so how far into building the molds uh, are the tool and die guys i mean are they did they just start are they a month into it i think i think they are in the middle i think they are in the middle okay. the, the process of producing molds is very complex because uh, there are many technologies involved uh, not only not only milling, but also there is electro. I don't know the proper word in English, but uh, it's it, the 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 term you're looking for is is ed is electro discharge machining EDM. Probably we, we create we create copper electrodes uh, right. in shape of the parts, and then put it into the metal, and uh, they are making what you have said. Yeah, it basically it, it's it's like um, if you just imagine that your fist was electrically charged, and you had a block of tool steel in a bath of of uh, conducting fluid, and you could then just slowly jam your fist into that block of steel, and when you pull your hand out, there would be a cavity. The shape yes, of yes, your exactly. Fist. Yeah. That's that's pretty much how it works, and a lot of people do the electrodes out of graphite. Some people do them out of copper, um, but that's the, they do that because it's a lot easier and cheaper to to machine the electrodes than it is to cut complex parts directly into the tool steel. So it's a it's a fascinating technology. Uh, so the, you're getting right into some of the engineering nerd stuff that I want to ask you about and you've already answered several questions. So um since you guys are not um 
you're not building your own molds in-house. Do you guys build molds um, there in Poland? Do you do you go to China like a lot of manufacturers do? How does that work for you guys? This is very interesting because we have started in China. We made our first plastic injection kit in China. It was a Polish training jet Iskra, the Spark, from 60s, which was used till... Oh, till this year. In fact, the, the last Iskras were removed from the Polish Academy of Aviation uh, this year. Uh, now we are using uh, Italian trainers, jets. So the first our, our first injection molded kit we made in China. And it was cheap. But uh, it was very difficult to communicate with uh, the producer of the mold. It's not question of language, but it's question of distance. Uh, uh, as I told yeah. you, as I told you, when the, our tooling workshop is making the mold, we are in constant contact with them. We are going to them. We are looking at it. We are talking with them. They are calling us. They are showing us uh, something, asking us questions. We ask them questions, and we are doing it on daily basis. With Chinese, it is impossible unless you go to China and stay there for three months for the whole process of producing the mold. Of course, it can be done. But uh, after first experience of that, we decided uh, we never went to China. We were doing everything uh, via internet, uh, telephone, and so on. Uh, and after such experience, we decided that uh, even if it's much cheaper, uh, this is not way for us. Also, it is very important for us to to make it everything locally because we consider it important for our economy of, of our country, and that strategy proved uh, very wise when COVID epidemic came. Because we are independent on all those broken. Uh, chains of supply etc etc because we are going to 15 kilometers from warsaw and we have been in our tooling workshop we were able to talk with them to show them everything what has to be shown and what about what about it what about injection molding are you doing that there locally as well yes yes this is the same company this is the same company. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that's that's fantastic. I've been through everything you're talking about. I've never been to China, but but you know, it's just a it's just a hard truth that no matter how good your engineering team is, there's going to be stuff that doesn't translate into the tool steel correctly, or there's going to be questions, and so there's just no substitute for being able to drive down the street and and see it firsthand. And tool and die makers, they love it when the engine. Well, mostly, <laughs> they they love it when the engineers come in person yes. and ask questions, uh, because a lot of engineers just you know don't, and they they think, oh well, I designed it, it's got to work, and that's just never that's just not a good assumption. So uh, that's that's great that you guys have that sort of vertically integrated process um, without actually having it all under your same roof. Uh, that's that's good stuff. Do um, and if I understood you correctly, you guys are designing the sprue layout there at yes, Arma. Yes, then... yes, not 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 for the first our kids, but uh, as I told you, that Marcin Czapierski is a professional industry designer. Uh, so uh, 
initially he didn't uh, had uh, he didn't have uh, such exact knowledge about designing of the sprues but after the first sprue he gathered some experience after the second sprue he was quite qualified after the fourth or seventh uh, sprue he's quite good in it so the first the first sprues have been designed uh, in mostly by the guys from from our tool workshop but but now uh, Martin is designing the sprues and uh, finally something is corrected by guys from the tooling workshop but these are only details details of the plastic flow or thickness of the frames or something like that most of things we already understand by my, by ourselves right yeah, I think this is a really key point. It's it's a subtle thing that a lot of guys out there may not get, but you know, you can tell as a model maker when somebody designed the kit and then just handed it over to the tool and die shop and they designed the sprue layout because it doesn't make sense as a model maker. You have to go through five sprues to find all the pieces for one subassembly and it can be super frustrating. And I, I, so I'm looking forward now knowing that to building the Mustang even more because I expect that it's going to be a lot more efficient given that, you know, you guys are sort of bringing that kind of thinking into it. Um, it's, you know, it's, that's, that's just more good stuff that speaks to the way you guys are approaching it. Are, are you guys doing um, full tool steel molds? Are you doing aluminum molds? Uh, what's, what's happening there? Uh, to be honest, I'm not sure what ex what exact what metal exactly they use. Uh, I don't think it's uh, pure steel or pure aluminium. I think it's kind of some kind of something between. It could be it could be beryllium copper. I just I'm curious because you know a lot of uh, and if and it's really got to be tool steel if you're doing uh, EDM uh, cavity burning. I think that's also it, it even depends on plastic use because I I, I know yes. I know for sure that different metal is used for clear parts molds and different metal is used mm -hmm. for not clear parts. Yes, very, yeah, very much true. Typically you want to use a harder tool steel for parts that require a really high degree of polish. So it makes perfect sense for clear parts, you know, whereas if you don't care as much about the surface finish you know, for a tank hull or tracks or something like that. You don't have to. But a lot of companies that are smaller will choose to machine directly in aluminum and cut their molds that way because it's, it's, it is cheaper, but the price you pay is durability. Exactly. And, uh, and, and so if you guys are going straight to tools, to full steel molds, that tells me that you're in it for the long haul. You guys plan to be around for a long time. Oh, yes, exactly. <laughs> Uh, that's our idea, and and it also depends on on volume too. And I'm I'm really curious, and I don't expect you to give up any you know uh, inside business secrets. But a lot of this depends on volume. You know, if you're going to produce a thousand a year, aluminum tools are fine. If you're going to even if you're going to produce ten thousand or a hundred thousand, you can sometimes get away with aluminum tooling. But if you're going to, you know, once you start to get up or up above 10,000 uh, shots on a tool, you've got to have steel pretty much to guarantee that longevity. So I'm curious, what kind of volumes 
are typical for you guys to produce? Uh, like, like how many of these Mustangs do you expect you'll produce on an annual basis? These are five digits uh, numbers, uh, but uh, I don't know exactly, and I can't uh, tell you. I shouldn't tell you exact numbers, of course. No, I know it's. T- mm-hmm. I'm not not trying to give not trying to get you to give up the goods. I'm just curious because I think a lot of people don't really realize in injection molding terms where scale modeling fits in. Um, you, you know, I mean, I mean, we know that there are, are, are molds out there that are decades old. Uh, and I mean, if you've, you know, built some of the early uh, Tamiya kits, they yes. may even be 40, 50 years old, who knows? But they may still have only ever run 100,000 shots in their entire life which for a steel tool really isn't that much because you know if you're if you're in if you're producing iPhones or automobiles or computers or whatever it's not at all uncommon to be shooting a million parts per year a, yes, that's tool. true. So, that's true. Even even our yeah. tool workshop is producing, for example, the caps for the bottle plastic bottles like this, and uh, they are doing it in, I think, more than millions. Yeah, probably so because that's a soft plastic. Because this is not not that situation as with our model kits. We for sure don't produce millions. Well, and polystyrene is kind of a medium aggressive in terms of how much it wears out tools those bottle caps those are polyethylene i think and that's really soft and easy on tools you can shoot millions of shots you know if you're shooting glass filled nylon that's really hard on tools not so much so there's a lot of factors there that really that, that go into that but the bottom line is is that scale modeling is a pretty small it's pretty small business when it comes to injection molds so it's it's I'm always but I'm always curious to hear what what some of the what some of the real numbers are. I'm also curious how long does it does it take you guys typically? I mean, it seems like you're producing new kits at a really fast pace. How long did it take them you guys to develop the Mustang kit? Uh, in fact, it was not uh, fast uh, because we really care for the design and we really care for the research uh, before the design. Um, I think that uh, I ca- I can't tell exactly. I'm guessing, but I think that it was about two years from beginning uh, to to selling. So the complete process, then, from the time you guys started out. What is to... important? That's uh, in fact we invest a lot of money and a lot of effort in every kit. So we really uh, sincerely want to do it good because we know that uh, it will stay with us. Uh, When uh, modeling companies making resin kits or 3D printed kits, they can modify the molds, they can modify the design many times because it's cheap. Uh, But this is not the case with metal molds, uh, which has to be done, uh, which... It is not cheap and it is not easy and it takes time. Yes. So we really want to research our subject very well and we want to design it very well. So it takes time. And time is costly. It absolutely 
Yeah, it abs- Yeah, it is for sure. It's not. You know, I mean, and, and you hit on an important point. It's not just the time to do the to do the work in in software. It, it's not just the time to cut the tool steel. There's you know a lot of a lot of other time that's involved there too. Yes, and in fact, a lot of work is done in our office every day when someone is designing something, and another people are. Uh, used as testers, yes. He says, "Oh, I have an idea. I will make that wheel for the new designed uh, model kit like this. Do you like it or not?" We come, we think, "Oh, yes, that's a good idea." Now another guy says, "No, that's junk. Let's do it the normal way." Yes, and uh, we really use a lot of time and uh, a lot of our brains. <laughs> Uh, to do it and I think it's very good and very important it really is and I, and, and I love this because because you're really kind of peeling peeling back the covers on what is a, a from an engineering perspective a lot more complex than I think most model makers realize um, I mean you know like if I look at this mouse that's sitting here on my desk that's got two large injection molded parts and they're relatively simple and the tolerances are relatively low because it kind of snaps together and you know the end user is me i don't really care how well it fits together just want it to work right but a model kit you know has a lot of pieces obviously we all know that and we as the customer don't just want it to look good we want it to to build well, we want that experience to be fun. But it has to look like the real airplane. It, right. It has to look like the real airplane for sure. Because we all know yes. <laughs> there's gonna be there's gonna be those guys out there on 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 you know some internet forum who are gonna be posting drawings and right. They're gonna say, they're Well, just we can't to tell you it's wrong. <laughs> right. <can't> <laughs> yes, the curve of the nose. And and I know that that's got to be a little challenging with something like the Mustang, where everybody knows that aircraft so well. And if it's a little off, you know, you're going to have uh, a lot of people who are going to be screaming about it. So it's uh, it's good to hear that you guys are so dedicated to to that part of it. And you mentioned um, you mentioned three D printing, and I'm you know curious because I'm a three D printing geek. How does that fit into the development process for you guys? Uh, in fact, we are very now uh, in this uh, period of our development, uh, we are quite new with three D printing. Uh, as I as I said, we have started with three D printing as uh, to make uh, molds uh, for. Uh, resin accessories like bombs and, and details okay 3d printed master patterns the masters yes the masters yes uh, but it was uh, seven on or eight years ago and 3d printing was quite different at that time it was uh, oh definitely it was yeah. costly it was uh, difficult uh, not many people were doing that uh, we abandoned that uh, period. We, we sold our masters. We sold our designs uh, to other companies uh, when we decided uh, decided to go into the injection molding, plastic. Uh, but now uh, we uh, we stay in building. Uh, we hired our office in building where there are many other companies. 
and uh, on our corridor just uh, around the corner uh, there is company which sells uh, 3d printers <laughs> oh, <candy. laughs> the actual that's very handy every morning when i am going to the public kitchen uh, to take water for tea uh, i'm passing by they have big window to the corridor and they are always printing something they have very very many many various printers from filaments and uh, resin printers and so on uh, if, at first there were jokes who are uh, more nerdy us or them <laughs> <laughs> it's a close race <laughs> what happens what happens when you combine them though <laughs> it's still undecided <laughs> i'm just uh, i'm imagining that scene from uh from the ron burgundy movie where the you know the two gangs are, yeah. yes yes white chains is that exactly exactly <laughs> oh on the other side of the corridor is fitness club and uh, every morning and every evening uh, there comes girls uh, for fitness uh, <laughs> so this is another world <laughs> they come to look at you nerds really yeah exactly they come to look at our 3d prints yes N not us are looking at them but they are lo looking at our 3d printer <laughs> but every 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 morning when I go in for my tea, uh, I pass the nerdy nerdy corner with three D printers, and uh, it was natural that we started to talk. The first uh, first things were, were uh, printing Pokemon figures for my daughter, uh, but then but then we started to check what are possibilities, and it turned out that uh, nowadays 3D printers are easygoing, uh, are quite cheap, and we have a lot of 3D designs. We have designers, and we have guys who can easily turn our 3D designs for plastic into more detailed. Uh, 3D designs for uh, 3D printers. And it works. Uh, we are still testing it. We, we started with uh, some, some tiny details like uh, exhaust pipes, uh, gun barrels for hurricanes and uh, for yaks. We started to give it uh, free uh, during the summer for all those people who, who bought uh, hurricane kits and yak kits, Yakovlev kits in our uh, Web, web shop and it turned out that people like it then we made so then we made box, special boxing uh, of hurricane uh, for Dieppe operation anniversary these are two two hurricanes inside but we decided to put two 500 pounds bombs 3d printed and some some little details for these hurricanes, and it looks Very cool. Nice. So you guys are actually producing you're actually producing the accessories as three D printed parts rather than cast resin parts. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, but in fact, it is still limited production. We do not have the industry of three D printing. We do not have uh, ten printers. We do not have separate room for it. We do not have separate guy for it. So we, we now we still experiment with them and uh, we still uh, use it as addition to some of our kits. Uh, definitely, supplement, yeah. yes, definitely it is not uh, for ever all our kits. Uh, 
And more definitely, it is not, uh, these are not accessories which will be sold separate. Because in, in such situation, we would have to produce it on big volume, which we now don't. And package it yes, and do documentation and, uh, and all that stuff, yeah. Yes, right. yes, yes. On on that on that time, we are not that company which can produce three D prints uh, for industrial industrial way. Well, I'm super curious because um, you've got a now. Are these guys next door? Are they a dealer or do they manufacture machines? They are dealers, and also they are guys okay, who. Okay, so you can buy. Yes, we we can buy. You can, you can buy just about. Okay, so what kind of printers are you guys using? I'm I'm super curious. Are you are you using the same three, four, five hundred dollar printers that we've got on our desks, or are you guys going for the more like thirty five hundred dollar Form Labs machines? Shame on me, but I don't know the exact uh, name of that printer. So I, I know that these are here and uh, guys are operating it and it's very exciting to see how it works, but uh, I, I don't know what is the producer, what is the, the mark. Yeah, it's 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 not important, but I think it's, you know, I think guys would be interested to know because, you know, 3D printing has changed so much. Um, I mean, like you said, even in the last 10, five years, it's very different. And what we can do now with a three, four, five hundred dollar machine is beyond what we could do 30 years ago when I first got involved with 3D printing. Um, it's, it's, you know, it, it never stops being fun and astonishing for me. In fact, I, I, there's an announcement now, um, from Anycubic, um, they're going to produce a 3d printer that is about the size of, I mean, from the pictures, I still can't even believe this is true. It's about the size of a large beer can uh-huh. and it is going to, it's going to have, um, a, an XY resolution of 10 microns, oh. which is about three times, which is about three times better than my machine that's sitting out here on my desk, which was the best in class two years ago. And uh, this new anti-cubic machine is going to have a build volume about the about the size of an egg, I think. But, you know, for a lot of the stuff that we want to do as scale modelers, I mean, especially if you're Alex Clark. <laughs> you, uh, yeah. you, you could put a whole tank in that. <laughs> right, you can print the whole damn tank in there. You want to build flea-sized periscopes for your tanks, then it's all good. I mean, I tease him; he's the only guy for whom this new AnyCubic 8K machine is too big. <laughs> so, so you know, it's there's just a lot of cool stuff happening, and I can't help but be curious about what you guys are using, because you know it, it's also true that even as much as we can do with these inexpensive machines, when you start to get industrial and they and and you know the guys over at AFE. Uh, you know, Dave. Dave Parker will tell you that when you do start doing it on an industrial scale, that's where the kind of the difference comes in. Exactly. And, and sometimes it's better to spend spend more on the machines. But it's great that you guys are sort of incorporating it as part of your philosophy. I was curious about how it, uh, you know, sort of fit in with your development process. You know printing test parts to see how like an assembly concept that you were talking about might work. Um, That's one thing, but you know, hearing that you guys are sort of thinking about how to incorporate it into your packaging of the kits themselves is pretty cool. 
And I know that there are guys out there, Chris Becker, we're talking to you, who want to know, are you going to start doing 3D printed figures, pilots? Uh, not now. Uh, we already did that uh, in that earlier period of, of our existence, of our production. Uh, we, we did uh, in 72nd scale and in 48th scale uh, figure of uh, Polish pilot uh, Bolesław Orzyński. Uh, Wojtek Buchak, uh, one of the co-founders of the Arma Hobby, also earlier had a company, Adalbertus, uh, which produced figures, soldier figures. Uh, but uh, now... Sorry. Yes? Did you say Adalbertus? Yes, yes, Adalbertus. Okay, I remember the, that. The, the yeah, soldier really figures, good, yes. Really good figures from that company, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I remember that. Yeah, excellent. Uh, in, in fact, Wojciech, his name, Wojciech, uh, Polish, uh, in Latin is Adalbertus. So, in fact, the name of company Adalbertus is his name. Uh, I think he started uh, He started making uh, the figures in white metal, then uh, he was making in resin. Uh, initially... The masters were hand molded, hand sculpted, and finally there were some 3D printed masters. I remember the Polish soldier from 1939, and that pilot figure was also the master was made in 3D in computer. But now I think we simply don't have time to design. Pilot figures. We, we we just uh, want to spend that time on uh, designing new model kits of airplanes for injection molding. In fact, uh, one of our important goals uh, as a company is to focus on important things, uh, because as I said, we are an RD and uh, we have many interests, and uh, <laughs> it's easy to get sidetracked. Exactly, you can imagine that every every morning when we come to work, we say hi, hi guys, uh, how are you? I have an idea. You know, that hurricane we do was used on the camp ships on civil ships during the World War II. Maybe we can do a ship. That's great idea. Yes, yeah, sure. But then another guy comes. Hi, you are talking about ham ships. Cool. But what about that design, which has to be done? Or what about that gallery for the blog website, which has to be published today? <laughs> and it, it is not that we have one policeman and uh, others haughty guys. No, sometimes uh, one is uh, t- talking about a very cool Japanese tank which may be done in 3D printing because it's very simple and box-like and only just uh, barrel has to be added and we will have very cool time. And at this, and next day, that one guy will say, come, come back to work. So you're just like normal modelers. There's too many ideas and not enough time. Exactly. exactly yeah we can we can relate to that for sure and you know like with pilot stuff there's tons of people out there who can who who produce stuff like that you know you can do a contract get you know and 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 get them to produce the database for you and you don't have you know it doesn't necessarily have to be a separate department of of arma hobby i mean there's there's just so many possibilities that this technology opens up 
And I, I, I just think it's really cool that, you know, regardless uh, you, of what you're doing now, that you guys see it as part of your strategy going forward. But you see, in fact, uh, in everything you do, there are some limits. And I think that for us, one of, li- one of these limits uh, is uh, brains and time. Because we, we have quite good we, team. We suffer from both. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we have quite good team. Every one of us has some skills. I dare to say that in some skills we are really good. One of us is good in 3D printing. One of us is good in communication with people. One of us is good in counting money, of course, uh, and in strategy. But in fact, it isn't easy to create such team. And it isn't easy to find new people uh, to enhance that team because uh, because it's quite uh, quite narrow topic. It's quite narrow uh, not not market, but uh, you know, uh, one of our powers, I think, is that we uh, were able to gather people who are modelers, who are aviation funds, who are historic funds, and at the same time have professional skills in other uh, subjects. Yeah, that's a great combination. Absolutely, it's, it, I, I think it's quite easy. I think it's quite easy to find out the um, social media specialist. But uh, I am social media spe- specialist who is also modeler for 40 years and also I'm freak of uh, World War II history and World War One history. That that gives me some kind of superpowers. <laughs> well, it certainly <laughs> makes you fit into that team a lot better, right? You know, yes. so all of your team members fit together and they mesh really well. So the environment. Yes, and for is... example, for example, Martin Czapierski is uh, industrial designer, and also is totally freak with uh, U.S. Navy aviation. So, so the Wildcats. And if we, if if we decided to spread our activity, if if we decided to make our company much bigger, it isn't that easy. Yeah, you have to find the right people. Uh, and that's always a hard decision. It's not, you know, it's, it's people, it's money, it's time, it's capacity. But that makes me want to sort of move towards uh, talking about your your future direction, because I know a lot of our listeners are going to be interested in that. I mean, you guys have clearly got a great team in place. You've got a good strategy. And you seem like, you know, right now you have really focused on 172nd scale. Yes. And I know a lot of people a lot of people think that's the gentleman's scale and that's fine. They're they're welcome to be wrong. <laughs> and some other people said on the internet that oh one seventy second kids are very good for trash bean. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who I don't know who would have said that. Who would have said that? Such, said a, that. such a ridiculous such some a ridiculous fool. thing, right? But you know, the, for those who, who do like uh, the larger scales um, you know, are you guys going to stay in 172nd? Are you going? Do you have plans to expand? Literally, I mean, are we going to see a 148th scale uh, Mustang B? Uh, are we going to see a 132nd offering? You know, what's what's down the road for our hobby? Going to put this out there: there isn't a good 132nd Hurricane. Just saying, there's not, and there's not a good 132nd scale 
B model Mustang either. I mean, I, you know, I'm sure there are people out there who, are, who really want to hear what's, you know. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes, jokes, jokes aside, uh, we do 172nd kits because we built 172nd kits at most. But we already produced 148 PZL P11. And we promised, and we are all working on the 148 Hurricane Mark II. C and B, it will be, I think. Uh, we know that 148 is quite a bit different technology. It is not that we don't know it, but uh, as I told you earlier, we uh, want to do things in which we are good. We don't want to do mediocre, lame things. So we are learning. We simply we simply are learning, and our tool workshop is learning. So what can I tell you? I can tell you that everything is possible. Uh, if, as Chris said, <laughs> uh, if as Chris said, our Pesatel P11 in forty eight is good. That probably means that Hurricane will be good either. Uh, I think we will be able uh, to see it uh, till the end of this year. And if modelers worldwide will like it. So the next uh, 148 model kits are possible. But of course, you know that uh, S uh, 148 model kit is more complicated than 172nd kit. So the mold to produce that kit is more complicated and more costly than 172nd kit. So it all depends. Yeah, bigger to, yep. And 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 larger larger size molds yes. require larger larger injection molding presses which are more exactly. expensive to run. Everything is different even if the, the pressure of uh, the flow of plastic and so on. Yep. Yep, absolutely. I mean, it's model makers, you know, like to say, "Oh, well, all you have to do is scale the one seventy second one up, to, you know, to a bigger." But it's just not that way. And you guys, I'm, I know, are 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 into that. I mean, because like, just consider the percentage of of the of the fuselage represented by wall thickness on a one seventy second scale aircraft. The wall thickness is not scaled particularly it, it, you know you have requirements there that are based on exactly. mold flow it's completely different galaxy exactly exactly so your your fuselage shell at that wall thickness at 172nd size is going to behave differently it's going to shrink differently it's going to do different things than the same shape at a higher at a larger size where the wall thickness is a lower percentage and it may not work. You you can't just literally scale it up or down, and that's aside from just the fact that you need more parts. So, uh, I I understand completely, but I predict that just based on the things you guys have said and what you've produced so far, that this hurricane kit is going to be pretty cool. Like I'm not a hurricane fan, but I might even buy one just to, just to check it out because 
I, I do expect uh, good things from you guys. And I know a lot of people are going to be excited because, I mean, look, let's be honest. I know there's going to be some, you know, hate mail when I say this. There's not a good 148th scale hurricane kit out there either. And uh, so I think you guys have been smart to pick that point uh, to enter the market in World War II 148th scale because we know it's pretty saturated and pretty competitive, right? That's true. There, there's one thing I... I can hear the uh, Airfix fans punching their keyboards. As well. <laughs> that's what, yeah, that's what I'm How saying. How dare you yeah, say that's what I'm, what I'm saying. We're going to get some hate mail on that. But in, hey, in fact, in fact I, am, I am one of the Airfix fans, really. I, I really like British airplanes and I really like Airfix. But uh, as you all know, Airfix is, uh, has a bit of different philosophy of making kits, uh, and I, I never dare to say that uh, it's uh, better or worse than ours. Uh, Airfix kits are simpler, uh, have uh, fewer uh, fewer th- uh, parts, uh, so we do not compete with them. In fact, uh, very very often, in, if uh, people our our customers are asking us. What to buy as a first kit for ten years old boy, or what to buy as a first kit for uh, a guy who is building tanks but never builds an airplane? And very often we say not uh, just take one of our kits, because we know that a guy who never built one uh, seventy second airplanes, uh, if that guy took our Mustang, he won't be happy. Because that our kit is uh, a bit complicated. We, we hope that our kits are not over, over-engineered, but are a bit complex. And Airfix kits are nice and simple. And one can build uh, 10 Airfix Spitfires, paint it in different uh, markings, and be very happy with it. And we do it. It's a really key point. Yeah, I think it's a really key point to to be clear on what your you know what you what you want your product to be. Uh, I think you know a lot of people are like, oh, well, the product is the plastic model. Well, it's really not. It's kind of like the product at McDonald's is not burgers and fries. It's value and consistency. And it sounds like you guys know what you want your product to be and where you want to fit in and who your competition is. And that's, I mean, that's impressive insight. I mean, that speaks a lot, I think, to, um, to, to what people can expect to see from you guys in the future. It's, it's, good, it's good question. And in fact, we ask that question to ourselves every day. And uh, in fact, we have one answer. It's a simple answer, but but it's one answer. We want to produce uh, kits uh, which are good experience for the modelers. But uh, we aim on modelers, on the modelers, not on the kids uh, who just want to play. Because for these kids, uh, for these children are different things. Uh, we we really we really want to make uh, kits uh, which allow the modelers to build uh, good models 
good-looking models, very, very um, looking like the real airplanes, accurate, uh, and in fact, we don't want to have it over-engineered. Uh, we, in fact, with Mustang uh, BC, we did. Uh, I think we did all uh, the possible versions. Uh, are maybe built uh, out from the box, uh, but this is not our main goal to build all the all the versions. We we just uh, make good. Hayate or good Hurricane Mark One. Of course, we gave uh, two different propellers and th three different uh, propeller bosses, but we don't want to make our kits too complex. Uh, I, I must say, I must say that name, <laughs> that magic name, magical name, uh, it's Tamiya. Uh, in our opinion, uh, Tamiya is uh, that. Uh, I know perfect combination. Yes, perfect combination. Exactly. In Poland, it's it's very often it's said. I don't know the word in English, but in near Paris, in Sèvres, there is institute where the French people are keeping the matrix of meter, of kilogram, of liter. Yeah. Yes. So so for us, that Sèvres matrix is is Tamiya. That's a great answer to a question that I wanted to ask you guys is kind of how you view the competition, who you sort of see as the standard. And, and that's a that's a wonderful answer, because I think all three of us would agree with you that Tamiya has found that balance of easy to put together, fun to build, reasonably detailed. I mean, there's always going to be stuff that you can't include because of manufacturing limitations and cost. Of course. Um I mean, they they kind of get you know they do a few things that are a little that are a little annoying, but overall they I mean they win hands down every time on 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 an overall measure. So it's cool that you guys are sort of you know comparing yourself against that standard. I guess everybody, uh, every company must look for their own version of the balance. The balance being between detail and buildability, and. Um, Tamiya, the detail might not be there, but what's there is really crisp. Yes, you know it's always. really sharply molded. Yep. Yes, and it's very buildable. Whereas Airfix, the molding quality is not always so great, but the detail's low, so you know it's it's buildable and not too long. But then, if you find your balance, you want to make better detail models, then I guess you have to find your level, and you've done it really well on the kits I've seen, of going a bit further on that. And sacrificing some ease of build, but not so much that it makes it a chore. It's still fun. And uh, how do you decide what that level is? It's a lot of discussions, in fact. Uh, it's a lot of discussions, and uh, it's, in fact, it's also the tens of years of experience in modeling. Mm. We built lots of them. And we know these uh, models. I, I can tell you a short story. When I was a young guy, uh, fascinated with World War One, uh, one of my dreams was good uh, model kit of Renault French tank. There was Matchbox tank, which everyone knows. 
in 76 scale, I think, not, not 72nd. It was okay with rubber uh, with rubber trucks and it was okay. But uh, I wanted something better. And one of Polish companies, I think in 90s, uh, produced uh, that Renault tank in 72nd scale, which was uh, extremely well detailed. Uh, I think now may, maybe not every armor plate was separate in this kit, but it looked like almost there were different turrets, different guns, uh, different wheels. It was lovely. I when I look at, looked at it at, for the first time, I was stunned. I, was, I I bought I think four of them. And I thought that I will be building them, building them, painting them. I will have a whole army of these wonderful models. And when I sat at my desk and I started to build it, it turned out that it's a terrible experience. <laughs> Was it RPM? Oh, I can there were the lots of tiny, <laughs> tiny, tiny parts. The fit was so-so design was so so it was good model it was good kit but it was impossible to have a, of you. but it was impossible to have an army of it now now i know that there is a flyhawk kit of, of renault which is uh, very good mm. but it's a completely different uh, time so we uh, of course one side of this discussion is to make uh, extremely detailed kits with every possible variant with such canopy another variant of canopy different gun different uh, propeller another propeller uh, and it can be done it can be done of course but is it necessary to make good kit and to build good model maybe the time used for designing and producing uh, the model kit of some airplane in all possible variants may be used for making two different kits of two different airplanes. And maybe that makes more sense. Yeah, that, it, wow. <laughs> you, you're, 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 singing, you're singing right to me on that one because I'm always, I'm, I'm frustrated a lot when I feel like that because of space and cost considerations that manufacturers try to fit too many variations in the same box. Um, I mean, like the, the Hasegawa P40 that I built last year, perfect example, where they give you two different tails. So you can build the long one or the short one. And I totally get that. But let's be honest, the long tail is the more popular one. It would have been much better better as a model maker if they had just given you that one and then either produced a different fuselage or if they didn't want to take on the cost of doing that give you some cut lines inside the fuselage and give you the other tail and let you decide if you want to chop the tail off and glue the other one on rather than you know trying to, to accomplish all of it with different pieces and I know there's a lot of considerations there, but it's really cool to hear you talk about it on that level because it's a thing for sure. 
Absolutely. All right. So, Greg, we have peppered you with a bunch of questions. <laughs> I could ask even more. <laughs> I could totally. I have one more. Nerd out about Very software. Sure. And yeah, but we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we have to wrap this up pretty soon. But uh, I know Chris has some questions. Tracy has some additional questions. Um, so, Chris, I've just got one. I heard that you're dropping the photo etch and the expert sets. Is that true? Yes, it's true. It's connected with uh, what I told uh, that we are trying to simplify everything uh, because it's uh, it's demand of the company running. Uh, the costs are growing of everything, and as uh, we are not doing the photo edge uh, in our company inside, but we are designing it as uh, someone else uh, is producing it for us, it gets costly. Uh, it uh, complicates the whole process of designing, of developing of the model kits. Uh, that's one point. And the second point is that uh, the plastic parts uh, are more and more better. Uh, and uh, we, in fact, we realize that, that some parts are even better in plastic than in photo etched. Mm, uh, absolutely it was it was the case it was the case of hurricane control panel there is a there is a footage control panel in our hurricanes expert sets and there is a plastic uh, control panel and if you take the plastic control panel if you apply the kit decal on it if you spray it with uh, flat varnish then if you paint uh, the dials with glossy varnish it looks better than what you can do from the kit's uh, photo edge. Uh, then, so, so we asked the modelers uh, what they think. And uh, most of uh, our respondents said that that's, they don't like it. That they don't use it. Of course, there are some parts which are very good in photo edge. For example, I think that uh, the gun sites in uh, Pezetel the round ones with the cross are, yeah, of course, has to be, really, has yeah. to be in footage. But yeah. this is one one thing which uh, is connected uh, with the previous question, but but with footage too. Uh, we we consider the modeling market as a big ecosystem, uh, as and uh, the fact that uh, we do not give photo edge parts in our kids, it doesn't mean that modeler can buy photo etched uh, sets mm. and even more in our shop we are selling edward photo edge kits for our uh, kids and it's good just let them do it yes exactly yeah, and and so Somebody so so with yeah. different kits like i said that uh, i like and i build airfix kits airfix kits uh, these are different uh, but it's good that that they are and it's good that Edward kids are, and it's it good that ICM kids are. It's cool. So we, we as Arma Hobby, we don't have to produce everything. Tracy, what about you? Got any last questions? No, not really. I mean, it's been really informative. I'm unlike you guys. I have no real knowledge of of how things take place. Um, you know, specifically between concept execution and production. So this has all been just really pretty great to sit here and listen to from my mm -hmm. perspective. 
I'm sure I'm not going to be the only one out there. So I've, I've just been all years on this one. I think a lot of people either don't know or have a lot of misconceptions. So it's great to hear the, uh, mm-hmm. the facts. Yeah, absolutely. This is why we've been excited about doing this. All right. Well, this has been really good, uh, Greg. I, I could, I think, like, yeah. There's a ton of a ton of other stuff I could ask you and geek out on, but we don't want to keep you forever. Um, I know it's getting late in the evening over there, but uh, is there anything that you'd like to sort of sign off with? Um, you know, tell us what's next for Arma. You know, just basically anything that you want to talk about. Uh, I must say that the most exciting for us now is Era Cobra, which we just almost have. We, we only only need really a does. few days. We only really need a few days. The, the molds are almost ready. Uh, the first tests have been very successful, and you you are being able to see the results on the Facebook, some photographs of it. Uh, but of course, as as with uh, all product uh, projects and with all products. Some things have to be improved to make uh, mass production. And uh, we are working on it. We are waiting for it. Today we have been testing the metal balls, uh, which will be placed in the nose of Aracobris, as you know, that it is uh, it has front uh, wheel. Oh, yeah. So it has to be balanced to not be the tail sitter. And it was cool. We, we all, the kit is designed that uh, three five millimeter diameter ball, steel balls are, will be put. We'll be giving these balls in the kits. And today we're putting these balls and had a lot of fun with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a joke there. I'm I not getting. I'm, I'm not. <laughs> yep. We're, yep. No, we'll be in yep, trouble not, again. Gonna say anything, yep, about dudes playing about with their balls, putting their balls in our boxes <laughs> or anything like that, <laughs> or having three balls, <laughs> three. very, very glossy steel, very hard <laughs> balls of steel. Yes, yes, three, three balls of steel. <laughs> <laughs> so so this is this is what uh, what makes us laugh uh, these days and uh, that makes us happy because uh, you know we have been waiting for that kid for many months and now it appears now you can put steel balls inside <laughs> and in a few days we will be able to assemble the whole kit uh, uh, we say that we make it gray, so because plastic is gray. So, so the first kits are not painted, so they are gray, like this. This Hayate is showing you, yes. So the first building of the kit test built is gray. So make it gray, and we all will be building our Aracobras in gray for the at first for the first time. Then we will be selling them sending to the modelers and we will be starting to build real kits with uh, paints with decals there will be some decals inside again like in mustang like in like in hurricane and i think it will be a very very cool kit that's got to be just super cool when you get to that moment i mean i've done a little bit of kit design myself and that moment when you find out if your engineering and your manufacturing are all going to come together in something fun, I can only imagine what a cool moment that is for you guys as a team. Yeah, I think you should make all your models, build your models, have all the gray models, 
make a photo of it and send it to us and we can put it out with the interview so people can yes. see yes. Great idea. the yes. great models. Yes, we, we can do it. We can do it, I think. Yeah, that'll build great a little idea. hype for the upcoming kit. Um, we'll get to publish something that maybe nobody else will get to see. And we'll get to see every, you know, the people from Arma building their own, their own kits right there. That'll be fun. Yes, yes, yes. I, I, I'm not sure if we have all our kits in Gray because some of them have been destroyed in some testing, uh, modifying, uh, and so on. But I think we have many of them, and I will make that photo tomorrow and send you. Yeah, or just the the, the Aero Cobra kit. Whenever you all get around to building your own Aero Cobra in Gray. And have the the Aero Cobra kits. That, make that picture. That I can't promise only to you as exclusive because I think it's too hot. To... <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I think that our process of public making publicity with it uh, already including uh, the the exact moment when we show it in grey. Yes, that's uh... send us a picture of you holding yours. Yeah. That'd be yeah. great for the episode. Yes. yes okay. Yes. But it it will be in a few days, not tomorrow. Just and walk by where the girls are working out with your model. Hey, girls! <laughs> <laughs> Look at my model. I've got three balls in here. <laughs> Do you prefer shorter and fat or long? <laughs> or energetic? <laughs> It's got three balls <laughs> of steel. <laughs> Good stuff. I really, I really do hate to cut this off, but uh, Greg, this has been great. We've really enjoyed having you on here. Hope you know. Maybe we'll have to get back together with you and maybe even some of the other guys from Arma down the road after the hurricane comes out. Um, you know, this is, this has just been a lot of fun and I appreciate you being so patient with all of our questions. It's, you know, it's cool for me from a, you know, just an engineering perspective to, to hear about the details, but I think this is also going to be really cool for the community to hear um, and to know that you guys are just model makers doing your thing and that that's, you know, and to see how that translates into producing what clearly are great kits. So thank you again for being on Sprucutters Union. Yeah, it's been really great to catch up with you too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. It was a great challenge for me because I was uh, for the first time in such role of the press officer of Arma Hobby. Of course, I did it many times for National Library of, of or for Pilitsky Institute, but not for Arma Hobby. It was cool to talk with you about the thing which we all love, the, the model kits and the airplanes. Thank you very much. Hey Sprue Cutters, it's Chris, and I'm here to tell you all about Tetra Model Works. From 172nd to 135th, from 1700 to 1350, Tetra Model Works provide you with all the PE you need for your ship, armor, or aircraft project. Whether you're building a T-62, PLA frigate, or a Royal Navy carrier, Tetra have got the best PE you can find to take your project to the next level. Easy to use, inexpensive, and beautifully packaged, Tetra PE is the best PE I've used, and I can recommend it to everyone. So go to tetramodel.com now to find out what they have and where you can get it. Or go to my store at insidethearmor.com to see what we have in stock.
And don't forget, the Sprue Cutters Union is just one of a number of superb scale modelling podcasts. There are too many to list, but go to modelpodcasts.com to find a full list of all these great shows. All right, there you go, folks. Hopefully you enjoyed that. A little bit of insight into the inside of the model making industry. What do you guys think about that? I, I am astounded by Gregor's three stainless steel balls. <laughs> it is it two's is, not enough it's, for Gregor. It's, it's one of the only times where it's okay to be impressed by another man's balls. <laughs> as long as I don't have to polish them. That was that was great. Again, like I said during the interview, and, and or I said very little during the interview, but I guess like at a certain point, um, somebody asked if I had any questions, and I'm like, I, I'm, I'm just sitting here learning. Like I'm, I was, yeah. uh, I. It taught me a lot about uh, a side of the industry that I don't know anything about. I found it very interesting. Like I said, it was great catching up with him because I haven't really, uh, I haven't talked to him in, in years and years. But uh, um, he's an old friend, and I'm really happy they're doing so well. And it's again, it ties back into what we talked about before the interview. Like it's just the quality of the product is propelling them as a brand. Um, you know, good word of mouth, good buildability, and uh, making the kits that people want to build, you know, or, or that aren't really uh, available in the market as a good quality kit. Yeah, it was cool stuff, and I really appreciated him being so patient with our questions. I mean, we could have asked a thousand more. The, he's got such a passion for what they're doing, and it sounds like the whole company have, and I think that's probably why their products are so good, and it's so good like like tracy i didn't really say much just listening to his enthusiasm is really you know infectious makes me want to break out one of the armor kits i've got and build it actually now finish this fucking thing on your bench (laughs) right yeah no i got to i got to and then i've got another thing i've got to do (laughs) i want to build the armor kit (laughs) i'm getting ready to start mine you 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 should approach yours with like the enthusiasm and, and joy that you want that kit to give you you know Hmm. And I'll tell you what, I'm not expecting it to be a pain in the ass. I don't think so either. No. I'm going to start on mine, maybe even today or tomorrow. I'm, I'm, I'm stoked. I'm ready. I know that uh, Ian uh, is getting ready to, to crank his up. We're going to kind of treat the Musaru Cup thing as a buddy build situation. But Sam Dwyer, uh, he's got one. He's going to build his with us. Um, and anybody else that you know wants to join in too. It's going to be, I think it's going to be pretty cool. I have to thank IPMS Hamilton and Lightspeed Global for supplying the kits mm-hmm. and for sponsoring the Musaru. Thank yeah, you, guys. Yeah, it's a very cool thing that they that they do to make that happen, and it's going to be pretty interesting to see how it all shakes out. I think uh, D-Ran, our buddy over at the Geeks, already posted some pictures of the cockpit of his, and it looks super tight, as you would expect from Mr. Cook. So, yep, yeah, we're, we're all going to... I was going to say, you've got some competition there. He's a very precise type modeler yeah yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be tough there's there's a lot of of great model makers uh, in the deal and then me so yeah <laughs> mr fox modesty <laughs> no 
no falseness there. I have no... Con- I have, nope, nope. I, I know exactly. I'm just wondering what kind of 3D jig you're going to design to help you build it. <laughs> I don't have to. you know. There, so I know you guys are joking about this fixture that I made for the Edward Mustang that I'm doing right now with the foil adventure. I did that because, yet again, and look, Edward, I love you guys, but come on. Have we not figured out a way to make the horizontal stabilizers go on a fucking airplane model without it being floppy? I mean, come on. And the answer is, and the answer is, yes, we have. Look at the Arma Mustang. Look at the way they did it. I'm expecting it to be basically trouble-free. Look at the way Tamiya did the tailplane on the, on the new tool Spitfire. I mean, how did we not think of that 20 years ago? So, yes. <laughs> Sorry. Rant mode off. Well, that's them not coming on now. Then <laughs> those guys shitting on our decal, shitting on our kits. Fuck them. No, I think it's good, and I and I I think uh, you know I, I look. I I wish we could get all the manufacturers on here. I wish that that we could ask them like all these detailed questions, and then we could just really get into it. Like, why did you do it that way? I would love that. I don't know that we would ever have time for it. But, you know, we would we would welcome anybody on here, and um, hopefully this interview with Arma will be the first of many of those with manufacturers. It's good stuff. So, all right, with that, we're ready to sign off, I guess. You. Yep. All right, well, stay tuned for the next uh, episode. I believe we're going to have uh, our friend Chloe Plattner on, correct, Chris? That's right, yeah. So we'll probably be revisiting uh, scratch building and presentation, amongst mm-hmm. other things. Yep, yep, that's going to be cool. We'll get to get her perspective on the model-making world. She's a really good model maker, does a lot of super creative stuff, You know, has been to all the big-name contests, and so that's going to be a fun interview. So we'll see you then. Off we the same. <laughs> See you later. Adios, <laughs> bitches. <laughs> that was so funny last time when Tracy nicked it. <laughs> Stole it right out from under me. Hi. <laughs> you were like, shit, what do I say? <laughs> uh, 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 uh. <laughs>